<laughs> That's a perfect cold open. <laughs> Welcome back to the Film Type Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Chidi, and I'm here with Chris Lucky and Jonathan Smathers. And hey. today we are going to do essentially a Casavetti's retrospective. Hmm? I think, pretty much. But before we do any of that, let's do the condiments, the ketchup. ketchup all that, all the that ketchup. <laughs> Jonathan's like dead-eyed, blank stare. Oh, what? What's, what's up with that? I've been staying up too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I've been not uh, treating the sleep real well. This weekend. Oh, yeah. All right. Have you seen anything recently? Um, I've seen Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. We were talking about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, what do you think about Marvel? Um, man, I don't give a shit, to be <laughs> honest. I, I can't even try to humor it anymore. <laughs> right. Um, like, it's a bad movie. Like, you watching and you walked, I was like, I don't see, give a shit about this movie. Me and Lauren saw it, and Lauren loved it. Mm. Um, I didn't hate it at all. I'm yeah. just exhausted from it. I, don't, I, I, I can't even... I give it like an unbiased know, grade, like, like I'm because just, of all the I'm Marvel just, that you've seen. Just, yeah, end it. I like oh, Samuel man. L. Jackson. Young Samuel L. Jackson was really cool in that I heard movie. there was a lot of Samuel in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He's, okay. uh, What's the deal with the cat? I want to know about the cat in this movie. Hmm? Goose. Cat? The tabby. There's an orange tabby in Captain Marvel. Uh, you remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely remember the no. cat. What's his deal? What is he? Is he an alien? It's, is he a cat? Yeah, it's some, it's some kind of alien. Alien. But... Whatever. I saw Captain Marvel. Go see it if you, you know, I guess to keep informed with that universe yeah. before they finally wrap it up and I then still make more sequels because Black Panther's still not going to end and there's right. another Spider Man. There's nothing's ending. There's no. no ending. Like, no, this is the. Well, maybe beginning. that particular universe. Well, well the characters will die off. Like, the contracts are done. Like, Chris Evans' contract is done. You know, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., his contract is done. But we're going to see, like, how many times have we recycled Spider Man in the last 10 years? We've seen three like, of these fuckers. The universe is still, like, what, what, the universe is still going to be alive. They're just going to, like, take, yeah. borrow more from the source material of the comics, which have been coming out in fucking droves. Yes. Yeah. Since like like we have like what Civil War two now it's yeah. like an issue that's running we have like seven different Spider Men running and, at the same time and that's the thing I think we're gonna see a lot more of instead of seeing like the standard people the Batman's and the Spider Man's we're gonna see a lot more of those characters that people don't know about so much like a Jessica Jones and Defenders we're gonna see a lot more of those smaller characters that's what I'm looking now. forward to I, mm. I want more like Image Comics to mm. be to be movies Dark yeah. Horse Comics and stuff some some more like alternative stuff that yeah. would be pretty dope. Too bad Netflix canceled all of the Jessica Jones, Daredevil, I'm all that kind of stuff. All the Marvel. I'm oh, wondering yeah. when Disney's they're gonna happening. make. I'm wondering when the the series saga is oh, gonna yeah. get. It's gonna get its turn. Its turn, in, whether it be a TV show or a movie, because that um, series is incredible. You've told me about it so many God, times. Man, so saga. You heard of it, Chris? I've never heard of that. Huh? It's a it's a graphic novel. Graphic novel series started in like 2013, and uh, it's it's got like eight volumes of of story now. I've only wa- read the first one, but I'm nice. so hooked. Um, well, I'm hopeful of it because like Umbrella Academy just came out, which was a yes. graphic novel yeah, written dope. by. I like stuff like that. Umbrella Academy is dope as I hell. Ellen that. Page, like she kills it. Like it looks really good. I mean, that is a very good show. Oh yeah, I saw a uh, saw Drive Across Concrete. Oh yeah, highly you anticipated Zoller movie. Um, I love that dude. Sir. Awesome, mm-hmm. really good. Uh, and then I saw Us. Us. Yeah. What do you think about us? He, he he didn't have great things to say. Also, I didn't have bad things. <laughs> but I didn't have great things either. Right. No. Um, was it like just a, like a more typical horror movie than anything else? I read this these, uh, this exact thing to Chris that mm. I'm gonna just reiterate here. <laughs> a friend asked me about us, and I I said I just said I enjoyed the concept of us way more than Get Out, but I think Get Out executed what it was trying to say a lot better than us. Okay, interesting. Just go see it. 
Yeah, definitely gonna go see that. I'm definitely gonna go see us. 100. Other yeah. than that, I've just been uh, chilling, trying to secure the bag. You know what I mean? Well, there, there is a. <laughs> um, <laughs> I messaged y'all this weekend, well, this past week, about a David Fincher project that was going on oh, on um, on Netflix. What episode? Oh, yeah. oh, did you finish? Uh, same day. Same day, like within like an hour and a half. Like every episode is like 15 minutes or yeah, less. Yeah, it's so that's so uh, sweet. I yes. love that. Perfect. I'm on like the tenth episode. There was something me and Brown were talking about like a couple months ago about mm-hmm. um, about Nickelodeon uh, stuff. Like we were watching an episode of Rugrats or episode of Doug. You'll get 13 minutes of content and then it's over. Then you'll get a second episode of 13 minutes. It's just enough for your attention span and it's just like okay, I like yeah. this next. Get that's in, what, get the fuck out. Exactly, yeah. and that's what Love uh, Death Plus Robots does. It gives you 13 to 15 minutes anthology and beautiful, beautiful animation. They did something interesting. I want to know what was your first episode? Like, what the, was the name of it? The Arena. I can't remember the first episode. The name. Arena. That's name of arena or that i don't remember the name oh of yeah it. Well, she was controlling like some type of monster robot with type the, of thing with the, with the tail yeah, yeah. Bro, that was so dope interestingly yeah. enough netflix certain accounts have certain episode order for okay. that show so like your first episode is not necessarily going to be your first oh, that's episode cool. so, yeah, it was nice yeah. yeah and i don't know why the fuck they did that they're just like experimenting with that to yeah. see what happened but like i was in a group chat today with a bunch of people and they were just like you guys remember episode three of like love the throw where this and this happened and yeah. someone just go like that's the fuck? That. I was like episode <laughs> nine. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know why they're doing it, but it's a fun little experiment. Cool. It's like just delivering the same content differently. See if yeah. it affects how people watch it, yeah. I guess. Because like it's an anthology, so it's like you can mix them out in any kind of way you want yeah. to, but it does like change the package a bit when you yeah. sequence them out like that. So yeah, that is kind of cool. My but favorite yeah. episode so far is Sucker of Souls. Which one is that? Where are they doing that? Where they with the Dracula. In the t- in the in the in the caves. Oh like man! Yeah, that was dope. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I gotta watch it. I really gotta the watch yogurt it. one was the weirdest. That one. was weird, I, but I liked that it was playful. But my yeah, my favorite 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 one was the one where um he's off trapped in space. Like he has um he's laying in the fluid and then he wakes up and uh, there's a lady who's actually a spider on the cave thing. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Oh shit! I'm fun. sorry. Also, did you see the one with the lady that's <sighs> out did. in space and she's floating out there and she can't get back to the ship? No. That's one of the best ones. And the farm one. You see the, the farm, farm one? The farm one was Ooh. dope. The farm one was so cool, oh dude. God. With the force field. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was dope. Man, yeah. It's, it's so good. Like, I, I highly, highly recommend. I don't think there's a way that you can, like, not not like it. Because there's so many episodes yeah. and everything is different. Did know? Fincher direct or did he just produce? I'll produce. Just, just produce. produce. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I've heard nothing but your things about it. Yes. I've been watching. Um, there's a series on Hulu, on Hulu called Shrill. Okay. And it's, a, it's Amy. <sighs> Schumer? Amy Bryan. Oh. No. <laughs> Amy Bryan. It's, yeah, Amy Bryan. Amy Bryan. Amy Bryan. Yes, from SNL. AD. 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 Yeah. Yes. AD Bryan. Sorry, I keep fucking up her name. Um, but it's a fantastic show. It's called Shrill. It's about this, um, it's about this fat woman that's trying to go to life and succeeding without changing her body or her appearance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And the show's fucking great. It's intelligently funny. Yeah. It talks about fat phobia and sort of fat acceptance at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make fun of the issue. Um, but it, it it's filled with like comedic sort of heartbreak moments. Really great writing. Fantastic performance by a- A.D. Bryant. Yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of, there's not a lot. Like There's like three episodes that are directed by woman. Two episodes are directed by the same guy that directed Glow. Okay, nice. Uh, like produce has got two female producers in it. So yeah. it's like, it's pretty nice. Pretty nice. I recommend it. Shrill by in, in Hulu. It's on a, re- it's a Hulu original. Cool. The, um, the ratings for it are pretty good too. I don't see anything lower than yeah. 74% from anybody. So it's that's super fantastic. Good. Like great representation for like, in terms of like minority, like mm. the, of course, AD, Rob Bryan is the lead. Her best friend is like a black British woman yeah. and like, 
But not no one has dealt with this token mentality. Nice. Everyone's just kind of like their own character. I like that. And uh, I think it's a fantastic. It's fantastically written. Yeah. And I enjoy it. There's there's something else on Netflix. A um, Idris Elba put out a show called uh, Turn Up Trolley. Have you all <laughs> heard about that at all? <laughs> no. He plays a DJ who is the uh, nanny babysitter caregiver to like a six year old white girl. And it kind of covers a topic that we're going to be talking in our next block. But it was just like a weird thing. It made me think of like the toy with um with the Richard Pryor. I don't know if you've seen that, but like a little white boy who wants to own someone. He owns Richard Pryor. And it's just like weird. Like he shows her how to dance and like shows her like how to be hip and with the culture and black and everything. And then she teaches him some things and living like a super affluent lifestyle as a six year old. And it's a really bad show. <laughs> it's really, really bad. <laughs> It's really bad, and it's it's upsetting because like I like Idris Elba a lot. Like I seen Luther, I love Luther. Luther I like his really movies. Good. Yeah, and I was just like, what? What made you choose this show? Is is like like what's? Do you have a lot of downtime? Like why? And I, I can't recommend this at all. Bills, bro. I guess so. I can't recommend this to anybody. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably it's yeah. probably meant to be. Like that's the thing with these shows. Like some of them, some of the shows that land on Netflix. Yeah really should land on like network television yes and like they would have a much better time in that demographic yep. because network television is all about like that sort of like pseudo feel-good narrative mm. you know yeah like so I yeah agree. it sucks for it sucks for idris that it's not on netflix because like <laughs> yeah then a bunch of cynics that are watching love death robots and fucking scorsese <laughs> movies <laughs> Watching turn this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's that's perfect what you said because like that if it was on abc or nbc or cbs yeah. then it's like that would have been a perfect like place for it but like netflix next to all these other things i'm watching then i click on this there's no place for it for no. me so yeah that's very very true it's out of place and out of touch they're very much yeah. very <laughs> much so it was uh, i seen one other thing that i can't recommend it's called triple frontier have you heard of that? Whoa, I've heard amazing things about Triple you Frontier. Shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. I heard it's like one of the best <laughs> Netflix originals. No, it's not. To come out in a long time. Nope. 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 Wow. And let me tell you why. The cat the cast looks The uh, cast is great. It's dope. The too. cast is super dope. That's the reason I clicked on it in the first place. First, you got Ben Affleck, who's not super recovered from whatever he's been going on and ever, and he kind of looks like it too. He's put on like 40 pounds or whatever, and his flick. Yeah, 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 Fat Flick, yeah. No, not Fat Flick, Sad what? Flick. Sad Flick, whatever, yeah, yeah he's, he's all of it. But it's like he, he he came up there and showed up for that. And I was like, all right, you know, he, I've never seen him play a character like that, so all right. Then we got our man Oscar Isaac. Never seen him do anything bad. He's an amazing actor. If y'all know who Oscar Isaac is, he is amazing. Then Charlie Hunnan, the guy from, um, uh, shoot. I'm okay with Charlie Sons Hunnan. of Anarchy. Sons, Sons of Anarchy. anarchy. Yeah. I'm okay with him. Hey, he did a really good job. Sons of Anarchy. His movies, eh. But he did a really good job in his television show. So I'm like, all right, you have these three people. It's called Triple Frontier. Let's see if it's any good. It's decent. The first... 45 minutes, they're into like trying to rob this uh, cartel guy in Guatemala or Mexico or some Spanish-speaking country, and they just get super greedy, try to take all the money. The money's buried within the walls, and they, they pack all the vans full, and they're like, come on, Ben Affleck. We can't even put no more inside the van. He's like, no, I need more. I need more of the money. So basically, the money ends up, the movie ends up being about, you know, just about the love of money and how it destroys everything around you. I mean... When I hear money, when, when I hear a concept that revolves around money and the, money and the drug cartel... Mm -hmm. It's just like a very. It seems like a very overdone yeah. thing, but I. The, but the cast was great what, cast. was what made me think. Well, maybe this could be great cast. I blame I blame Narcos. I've heard the, you're the only negative opinion I've heard on it. What, so. Check it. I mean, two hours and forty five minutes. If you watch that God thing, and damn. Come, if if you watch that movie and come back with anything <laughs> higher than a six point five. I'll watch it all the way again and see if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I promise you, I don't. I can't imagine anything higher than a six point five from any credible person that watches movies or television. I really can't. 
It's not. It's not that. Two hours and forty-five minutes. Jesus Christ! For a heist movie? I don't let's, want let's to now. Like I just don't. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. For like a heist film. For a heist. It's long as fuck. Long. It's super. It's like long. imagine if Ocean's like if Ocean's Eleven was like four hours long. Stop. Triple Frontier. Let's see what the runtime. Or if time. one or if Woman Under the Influence was two hours and forty minutes. Oh wait, it was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Two hours and five minutes. Two hours five minutes. Two hours of, that's a two little on the long side, honestly. Or like a heist movie. So like, if you sit back, if you if you watch this movie, I'll watch it again. <laughs> but it's just like it, it wasn't it. No, it wasn't it. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. Um, I don't think I've watched anything else. I've been like, yeah. Have I what? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think I've watched anything else because I've been focusing really hard on watching the Cassavetes films mm. that we're gonna talk about today, and they were exhausting. So they took a lot of my watching time um, mm. to do. I'm trying to watch Finding Neverland though. I've seen that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Watched that a couple weeks ago. That is is interesting. Okay. It depends on like what side of the page you're on. Like I'm just like open minded, and I do believe that he was at the very very least a grown adult man that's in the in the bed with children that are not his own. That right there is just enough for me to be like, all right, bro. Like I'm kind of believing what's happening. But there's we were talking about it before. There's a lot of people in the black community or people that just loved Michael Jackson their entire life that won't believe any allegation, no matter who's telling it to them. No. And that, that's the unfortunate thing because you got the victims telling you with their own mouth, like. Well, that's it's crazy. Is cr- people don't want to face that reality no. that yeah. that the people that they've loved are shitty, are really shitty. Like, yep. like R. Kelly. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes they is a hu- is a shit human being. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolute garbage monster. Ignition was a. Have bop, you watched, dude? Have you watched his interview? Yeah, I've only seen like it's the si- meme clip. They've like broken it down and yeah. and have said that like how this behavior kind of depicts someone that's guilty. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like someone that has, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, he's a pedophile, and Michael Jackson was also a we'll pedophile. Fight for my mm-hmm. fucking life! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the they funny, the funniest crazy. meme I saw was <laughs> like it was a Dragon Ball Z meme, mm. and like Goku saying something badass is like Vegeta saying something badass, and Piccolo saying something badass, and then they have Yamcha, <laughs> and then it's and then it's that that. Uh, video That's fight for my <laughs> fucking life <laughs> and there's something valuable about the internet is that i love the way that it ridiculizes like shitty people mm. like immediately yeah, yeah fucking articles that got them people have to get more comfortable with saying the word pedophile mm. when it comes to celebrities because there's quite a few of them when they are they are there yeah. wasn't kevin spacey also kevin spacey, yep kevin spacey r kelly michael jackson like we're yep. in it's a lot of pedos yes a lot of pedos going about mm-hmm. chris hansen had the right idea <laughs> <laughs> they just put him in jail a couple of months ago. Chris Hansen, um, yeah, tax evasion. Uh, tax evasion is what it was. Yeah, <laughs> just got him. Why don't you have a seat right here? <laughs> just got him. Damn. I wonder if the if the guy that like arrested Chris Hansen shot up to his house, just like, hey, Chris, I'm so and so from the IRS. Why don't you have a seat over there? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> that would be amazing to me. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I haven't had time to watch a lot. I just did my first paid professionally booked production assistant gig very nice um for a production company all the way down in cali okay and it was awesome yeah. it was great um it was a lot of fun learning and i learned Sorry. that if you order lunch from anywhere mm. make sure you do it an hour ahead oh yeah um because they take long when there's like seven orders on the menu i bet yeah um but yeah super fantastic super fun experience yeah. and like just awesome to like be able to work with people that have been doing it for a long time. Hell yeah. Experience. And, like, and it was great. It was fucking fantastic. Nice. Had a great time and I'm booked again on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Where was it, it at? It was in Greensboro. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, had to go all the way down there, but it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I had a 19 hour day 
yesterday. Yeah. Woke yeah. up at four thirty in the morning. You, they let they did they let you do the ordering. Yeah. You had to order the food. Yeah, I had to do that. I had to do. This one crew made me, you know, go pick up food, and yeah. the fucking place that they wanted me to pick it up from was on Beatty's Ford Road, and I... That place is kind of what I mean. If you look at me, you know, I don't belong on Beatty's Ford Road. <laughs> Beatty's Ford Road is where Johnson C. Smith University, historical black college university, and that is the blackest area we have in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> that place, every time I drive down over there... But, oh my God, I, they I have almost a little, hit something. They have a chicken yeah. spot there that yeah. was incredible. I wish I could remember the name of it. Was it Chicken King? Um... I don't know, there's a few chicken King is delicious. I fucking oh, love yes. Chicken King. Me too. Well, it took them an hour and a half to get make me my food because I, I have put in like 15 orders. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good idea to call and then mm. and then, then just pick it up. Yeah. Because goddamn. Yeah. But been there, done that. Um, but yeah, super fun. First professionally booked gig. Got good feedback. And I'm back there on Wednesday. And it's fun. But I, ha- I, I was awake at 4.30 in the morning yeah. and I got home at 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> It was a disgustingly long day. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I'm here. I'm awake. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything cool, else? Uh, no, that's all that I've seen. Um, check Love, Death, Puss, Robots. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fuck yeah. And, uh, but, so I guess we'll cut and then we'll talk about, we'll start talking about Cassavetes. Hey. Hey. Was just like, yep, had another murder on Beatty's Ford Road today. Oh, and oh Jesus. Had a murder call today. Oh, yeah. Beatty's Ford I didn't know your dad was a cop. He's, really? re- he's actually retiring mm. oh. next month. Fuck yeah. And then, my, so. and then my whole entire family is moving to New Mexico and leaving me here. Oh, well. To New Mexico? <laughs> what are y'all about to do? Y'all Dude, my dad, drugs? my dad retired from the police. You know, we're talking about New- cartel yeah, shit. What's in New Mexico? It, my dad retired from the police, is retiring from CMPD after 25 years, and now he's going to go be a deputy sheriff at the Albuquerque Police Department. Ooh. So y'all about to be rich, rich, huh? They they are. (laughs) New Mexico cost of living is in the bottom three of the entire United States as far as cost of living. So I'd assume a retire and a promotion and a low cost of living. Yeah, you're going to have to live in your whole location fee, probably. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. man. That's, I mean, it's New Mexico, but still, though, it sounds, sounds like all right. Yeah, I just pictured dirt. Like yeah. There's just no get, and there's no grass. Mm, no. I can't even name a Probably city. Red dirt. A they city a, I would visit in New Mexico. Anybody? It's in New Mexico, that city? No, so is there a city that's, that's like Albu- popping? Albuquerque. Albuquerque, okay, mm-hmm. that's a name. Yeah. That's a name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, we uh, sound d- so Yeah, dude, it's, it's my... It's my stepmom, my dad, my brother, mm-hmm. my grandmother, and my grandfather are all moving. Jesus Christ. All yeah. I have here now is my mom. Yeah. Oh, Bam. you got her, yeah. <laughs> and your wife. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <Bam>. <laughs> all right, you guys ready to talk about yeah, some yeah, cuts yeah. of the <clears throat> And welcome back. Hey. Today we're going to be talking about John Cassavetes, mm-hmm. the film director. Um, that's, this is the first time that we talked about multiple movies. Uh, the second time. Uh, we did one with a uh, director, John Carpenter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, gotcha. uh, little different format, but yeah, this is the second time we did it. Yeah, yeah so we're doing, this are his five Criterion films that landed mm-hmm. in the Criterion collection. Yep. Um, I think they are interesting films. I think Cassavetes is an interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's going to be like a retrospective. We're going to take a look at his movies on a little individual basis, like a few things at a time, and then talk a little bit more about him in general mm-hmm. as a director and a filmmaker. Um, super fun topic suggested by my boy, 
Smathers. Sitting I want to go ahead and just uh, <laughs> make, make a statement. Um, oh, right. <laughs> you, you, you have the floor. So uh, this was my idea to mm-hmm. do to do uh, this episode based on these five movies that were part of a Criterion box set mm-hmm. yeah. of John Cassavetes, and um, it was my idea, and we had the idea about two months ago, and yep. I still never watched all five movies. So. <laughs> um, I just want to go ahead and apologize. I did not know that his movies would be uh, so hard to get through. Um, Do you know after like I after wa- the, after the first month, like I was three movies in, and Brian was like, "I still haven't seen a fucking movie yet." And I was like, "These are not the movies you want to binge." I've watched three movies, God. and I can't. I'm like, you know what? I don't even think Jonathan has seen these movies because there's no way he would do this to us if he's seen it. And Brian was like, "No, this he had to have seen that. He wouldn't have us watch all these movies if he haven't seen it." Then mm. turned out, no, he hasn't seen these shits. I was like, "What the fuck?" What the fuck? <laughs> it's like been the like the bane of my existence for the past two months of like getting off at seven and then having to watch like a three hour movie like this. You the know, thing is like none of these movies are three hours long. They're like two and a half hours. They just always feel like they're fucking three hours. No, but there's not a movie that's under two hours. Not one of these were under two not hours. Because of, because not one. Long. The first one's like a minute twenty, which is perfect. Yeah, like an hour. Yeah, but it's but it still felt like three hours. Emotionally, they feel very long. Yes. Um, but let's uh, introduce Casavetti's first. Yeah, let's I have a little blurb about Casavetti. Oh. He is a filmmaker. Obviously, his first movie, his first independent movie, was Shadows. He worked as an actor, and as an actor, he used that money to fund his independent directing. Mm. I don't know a lot about his early life. I didn't research his early life. I was more interested in his filmmaking. Um, but he worked as an actor and then used that money to shy away from the studio system and direct his own movies, essentially um, not kickstarting, but essentially participating in the American New Wave movement mm. right at its earliest conception. And he became one of the filmmakers that are associated with independent filmmaking in the Americas and bringing that type of filmmaking into the American market. It was already happening quite a bit in the European market with the French New Wave movement, which started close to the 40s. Mm. Um, and 400 Bloods is a prime example of that yep. new wave movement. Casavetti's, uh, that movement was making an impact in America mm. um, as uh, theater cells were declining. And then Casavetti saw that the right jump to do was to jump into those movies because they allowed for like centric, character centric moments, actor centric films mm. um, that were completely separate from whatever that the American studio system was doing. And he concerned himself quite a bit with the concept of authenticity, mm. which is a concept that prevails through all of the American new waves. Um, uh, sorry, prevails through all of the new wave movements from the French to the German new wave movement. It's all about authenticity to the point where some people didn't use real actors. Or mm. people There's that a lot of improvisation actors. I read in his film. Yes, films, like yeah. especially the first two, like lots and lots of improv. And oh, just just another caveat. Like before mm-hmm. going in, like there was a um, a thing of not lo- doing the research. So it's like I went in watching these movies. Like I don't have a rating for like or what uh, critics have said. But this movie is good. This movie is bad. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing I have going into this is like what I saw right. from the movie and a little bit about Casavetti as a person. No. But I still don't know how these movies were received at all. Mm-hmm. So my, uh, my process was a little different. My process was like I would watch the movie, mm. and the only movie that I didn't get around to watching was The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, mm. um, and arguably one of the best ones being the latest one in his career. Um, but um, that's the only movie that I didn't get around to watching, but I would watch a movie, mm. and then I would research the movie, and then I would piece together Cassavetti's career and Cassavetti's filmmaking philosophy from that, mm. and then how critics viewed the movies. That, that would have been um, nice. I could have done that. 
Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nice. You know, was, was not allowed. That was not in the rules. <laughs> so you broke the rules. Bro. I broke all of the rules. Yeah. Um, but I did have I did have a f- super fun time like watching a filmmaker from his first. Mm. And that these are not his only movies. No. But these are the movies that were deemed like culturally significant by the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. And some of these have landed in the... And what's the, the film thing? The um, American Film... Shoot, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah, like I the American know. Film Registry for culturally relevant and significant films. Some yes. of them have landed in that. Yeah. Um, Which I love more than an Oscar. We've been talking about for the right, longest. Yeah. It's like, yes, that means the American public deems this is the best movies. But movies like Top Gun will get in there as well. That just critically get smashed. But if America grabs onto it and say we love this, then it gets in there. So. Yeah, culturally significant. Yeah. So... That being said, Casavetes is a fascinating director, one that has been completely adored by independent filmmakers. There's an award named after him too. Really? The the Independent Spirit Spirit Independent Awards. Mm-hmm. They ha- they hand out an award every year. I bel- don't I don't quote me, but I think the Casavetes Award is given to a, an entire film like department crew. No. Um, if if the budget was under. Like the best film under five hundred thousand dollars okay. with a budget under five hundred thousand. That makes sense. His movies will now be classified as like micro budget films nice. in the independent market. There was a there was something in Washington after watching the first or second, and mm-hmm. I came back and I was like, Brian, like these movies here, they remind me of something that I've seen that you hated, and it was um it was the four hundred blows, uh, Francois yeah. Truffaut. Like after watching that, and I was like, there's a something, and I couldn't do the research, but I was like, there's something very similar in here, and we were over text messages. I was like, this is like a very avant garde like type of style. I've never seen yeah. film like this in America. The only uh, thing that I had was the, the 400 Blows, which was uh, the French New Wave. So then I'm seeing something that I've never seen in America before, and then through text messages, like, no, this is the American New Wave. No. This new style that wasn't done in America is just that following along from the French New Wave that we've seen earlier. So I'm like, you can definitely see where he was uh, influenced by, and it's he changed it up a bit, and it's like, he almost took the art away from it a little bit for me in the first movie like the creativity away like it just seems like he did he just puts a camera there the first one was like 16 millimeter it feels like and it's just right up in your face with everything it made me think about um the place beyond the ponds director who will give you those like super nasty close-ups but with this one is just like he's he's a very distinguishable director because from the first movie to second movie you know exactly that's a cassavetti shot yeah and like I said, it, it, it felt like it was taking art away, but maybe that in itself is the art. Mm. I, <clears throat> I I struggle with this idea because I, I, I had the same thing where, like, I recognize where these shots are currently in cinema from, yeah. like, everything. That we, like, I recognize that Casavetes has been a massive influencer yeah. in American cinema. Yeah. And not only, but just, like, like in filmmaking cinema, in yeah. general. He's got a lot of techniques that have now shown up, like the... The really dramatic close-up mm-hmm. from Shadows have shown up in like Blue Valentine yep. and um, The Way Beyond the Pines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek, I, I forgot it's Sian Franz. Derek Sian Franz. Sian Franz, yeah. Um, like he has that close-up style that's very, very um, just claustrophobic, yes. and and it's just like right up in your face about it. And <coughs> the tracking shot for a scene, mm-hmm. like I, I I I have a very good argument or a very good idea that the Spielbergian shot mm. is very much influenced by the type of shot that Casavetes would try to do. Mm. Um, he would keep a scene going for two to three minutes and only change the camera movement and change the, so- the shot size within the camera. Yeah. By all means, making a Spielbergian shot, it just lacked all of the polish that Spielberg adds to it. He's become that. an amaz- amazingly influential filmmaker. Yes. The only thing <coughs> is that maybe his films weren't that good. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and that's what I want to talk about. Like the quality of his films, mm. in my opinion. Like, so let, let's let's just start talking about them. So like his first, Shadows. the first movie that we seen was Shadows. I absolutely love this. You love this? I love Shadows. You I will, wa- I will watch. Man. I will watch Shadows again on my own time. <laughs> Jonathan's face. Hey. When after okay. I seen this, I text message Jonathan. I was like, if Cassavetti was born in the year two thousand, he had access to things like Netflix and the internet. He would be a household name instead of just being someone within film critics or hailing. Sh- Shadows did something that I've been seeing in cinema since nineteen sixties, seventies, and eighties, and it's the first time that I've seen it this far back. Having someone, uh, Holly Berry, played a role where she was someone that was black but was playing someone super light skinned, almost looked white. Mm-hmm. It was a movie called Queen. And this one, as soon as we got to the point of showing and this this black culture and this white woman who's a black woman that's looked at as white and everything surrounding that, this was a good movie as far as idea and structure. Like I very much enjoyed Shadows. I. Okay, so I like the I like the concept of shadows. So mm. essentially, the plot of shadows is that this. Um, hey, uh, do you have the rundown of it? That's uh, the, Cass- that's the thing, man. Yeah. Okay, you go. Uh, Cassavetes' uh, jazz scored improvisational film explores interracial friendships and relationships in a beat era 1950s New York City. Right. What are you gonna say, John? There was no plot. <laughs> I don't think there's really a plot until yeah, you get to the third right. movie. Until you get to Woman Under Influence, like even even uh, Faces didn't seem to have a plot. It's just kind of like this is what we're going for improv to get to this next point. Yeah, I I I, so I, I feel like in Shadows, what I mistakenly called the plot just now is kind of like the concept yeah. that they were exploring yes. and like what they were going for. The the thing is that like <sighs> Shadows is one of those movies that I I, I kind of like the message. I like what Casavetes is trying to say. Yeah, but getting through it. It's tough. Was exhausting. Yes. Draining. Yes. And it just wasn't an easy watch. No. It was actually quite a horrible watch. The, the, you know, that's what I was. Um, I was arguing through texts about. I was like, after I've seen two movies, I kind of get it because Shadows was the first movie, and I was, and, it, and it's the same style that he has. Pretty much, it it, it, it evolves like growing up. Mm-hmm. But this is the exact same style. So I'm watching this, and even though I'm trudging through two hours of a movie, I'm like, I've never seen this. The only thing I can compare it to is that 400 Blows, the French New Wave. This is so different and unique, and what I thought was avant-garde and trying to figure out that this director doing a style I've never seen before. That was very interesting till the end, but then, but I got got to the next movie. I'm like, I'm I don't I'm not interested anymore because, like you said, it drags along. There's no real plot point. It's just getting you from here to here. So I guess I could have seen any of Cassavetes' movies first and enjoyed that one very much. Here's here's the thing. I I don't believe that. I don't I, believe what. I I don't think. Well, I don't believe that in my like for me. Like if I, like watching any of Cassavetes' film like. If you pick any of them and then you enjoy his first movie mm. and then you pick another movie and then like later on you become less and less interested, mm. for me that's a false. No, thing. I'm, I'm not saying you like it now and then you watch it more times and it is not as good. I mean, no, if no. you if you watch it five more times and it wasn't that good in the first place, if it gets worse. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is like if you pick Shadows and then you watch Faces yeah. and then you become less interested in, in Faces, sh- uh, because you've already watched Shadows and then you kind of know what he's about. Mm. Um, I think that that doesn't. The reason why I disagree with that is because as I kept watching more and more of his films, liked more and more. I liked more and more of the polish of the films. And I liked more they and more did, of what yeah, he they learned. They did get a lot better looking. This, yeah. this is where I would go with that. It reminded me of uh, like an Apple and upgrading a phone. When I seen Shadows, I'm like, all right, version 1.0. 
and then I seen faces. I'm like, all right, 1.5. There's not a full polish and there's not a fuel change. It was like, all right, I'm taking what I have here mm -hmm. and I'm making it a little better. By the time we got to this third movie, the woman under the influence, like, all right, that's the 2.0. We see him polishing. It's a little more structure, a little more story. So I'm like, all right, I could have did version 1.0, version 2.0, but those things in between, like, I don't see a big jump in between Faces, Shadows. Yeah, there's not. There's yeah, not. there's not. And actually, I think Faces is far more annoying than Shadows I to watch. Despise oh, faces. I despise Faces. I hated Faces. I, I can't. That's the worst. One of the I, worst. I despise that movie. Same. Despise. <laughs> shadows. I enjoyed Shadows a little bit more. I, did too, I, enjoy, I enjoyed Faces. Mm -hmm. Shadows made more sense. Yeah. Not made more sense, but Faces was just. This white man yelling oh. and shit and slapping women everywhere. And the drunks, the the the, the drunk scene in the beginning where yeah. they're all just fucking toasted yep. and yeah. just partying. God, I just wanted to. It's awkward. Yeah. Wanted it to end, man. And like that's that's what's so good about him as a director. Supposedly, is just like giving you something supposedly so authentic, and it's just like these how these yeah. people are. They have everything. They're very affluent. The only thing they can't really have is love and that togetherness, and they're seeking it through everything else. And we see that again in uh, his last movie, Opening Night. Someone that seemingly has everything and then just falls succumbs to alcohol. So I mean, I, I like how he just puts a camera in a room and lets you see how America kind of is, or at least some people's version of America is. So I mean. I like it for that, the authenticity. So, in Shadows, and, and this is like, I titled my notes, Cassavetti's Artificial Authenticity. Mm, artificial. Uh, artificial yes. Authenticity. Right. Because in Shadows, we see a lot of this. These are people from the American Film Institute mm. that have worked, uh, that at some point worked under Cassavetti's, mm. but Cassavetti's was part of this American Film Institute for acting. Yeah. And when he started directing, he got people from this institute and started working with them on movies. Yeah. Now, the idea is that he didn't really he didn't really have a script for Shadows. Yeah. The movie was unscripted until its second run. I can see that. Where the film was drastically reworked. Mm. Um, he had a print. He ended up with like 60,000 roll, like a 60,000 foot roll of film for Shadows. I can see. It looks like he's just uh, shooting. So, yeah. And, and he is just shooting. He didn't mm. have a script for Shadows. Mm. Um, all of the actors were working with like either very loose motivations or no motivation at all. Mm. And um, this creates an idea that none of the emotions and tones and feelings that any of these actors are portraying are consistent at all. Mm. People would switch on a dime from being happy to being ragey, to yes. being sad, to being happy, mm. to being disappointed. And the whole time I'm sitting there watching the film going, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. I don't know if it, like, I don't know if what just happened is a good thing or a bad thing yeah. or an angry thing because the actors don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing or an angry thing. Oh, improv, yeah. Um, so by by nature of that, mm. by nature of it being that, which is really like the most anti-Hollywood thing that you could do mm. at the time, um, but by doing that and doing that in the name of authenticity, mm. you will al alienate your audience because you're creating a narrative through the edits after you're shifting through 700 emotions from each one of your actors, 700 ways of saying the same line mm. or like <clears throat> seven conversations that are not relevant to anything that's happening on screen. Yeah. But it's 20 minutes of good conversation and character interaction. Yeah. So they end up in your film and that creates this chaotic editing style that is very apparent in the first two Cassavetes film mm. where like you would be seeing someone's face talking and then it would jump cut to someone else talking in an entirely different position of the room and then would cut back to that same person talking and it's because he had seven it's, hours of footage it sounds like you're describing reality tv 
you know what I'm saying? Or art- artificial yeah. authenticity is just like, oh, we're gonna shoot all of this right here. We're gonna edit it together to the um, the, the point that we want yeah. to make, and we just have all this footage, and we'll create the story through the editing. Yeah, and and shadows had, and that's kind of, that that is really what it is. But it creates a jumpy narrative, mm. and if you're exploring nine, like if you're exploring interracial relationships, mm. um, the interracial relationship should be explored in the film. Most it should be displayed more prominently. Mm. But what I got was a f- half of one character interacting through the film, mm. and then we cut to the lady in the film, yep. who is the other half of the movie. Mm. But everything, even though it's explored interracial relationship, there was nothing for the first 45 minutes that implied interraciality. No. And actually, the shocking twist of the movie, which at the time would have probably been quite Huge. shocking, yeah. is that this is a black um, a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, the audience now has to contend with that. Yeah. But because in the first 45 minutes, we don't know don't that she's a black woman. No. We don't know that the other guy, the other Italian-looking guy that also ends up being half black, yeah. um, is her brother. Yeah. We don't know the conflict. And so we're forced to sift through 45 minutes of really bizarre, non-linear, mm-hmm. chaotically edited, yeah. badly, bad audio mm. um, that... It just becomes a really tedious watch for this first 45. It, it almost feels like um, there's a genre called slice of life uh, movies and television shows to mm-hmm. where you just see what's happening there. And it almost seems like that, you know, to where we just put in the camera and just enjoy what's happening or not. But just here's what's happening in front of you. There's really no story, no plot. And just like how you're saying the, um, the interracial should have been the focus of it. No. There's never really a focus in his first, especially his first movie. You know, we're just this is this camera. This is what's happening around you. Take it for what it is. Is, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna lead you to any story whatsoever. Right. There was a scene in Shadows that drove me fucking crazy. The slap scene. Which one? No, it was when um, Tony just started. Um, he like went on a date with. Um, what's the lady's name in the show? Not gonna put her. Uh, he went on a date with her and um, and Leah. Uh, Leah. Or Leah. Is Liana something like that? Something like, like Leah. Anyway, her brother. They're like hanging out at her apartment and then. Her brother comes home mm-hmm. and he's just like, Tony's like, the brother is clearly uncomfortable by this, yeah. seeing this like white guy with his, you know, black sister. Yeah. Right. And um, so he's like, Tony's like, I, I should go. I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> and uh, so he gets to the door to and leave, leave. And then the black guy was like, why don't you just get out of here, man? Just get out of here. When he's standing at the doorway? Yeah, and he won't leave. That's improv right there. And he already said he was leaving. Well, I'll leave then. <laughs> well, why don't you just go then? All right. Well, I will. <laughs> we'll leave. Yeah. Oh yeah, God! That's yeah. all improv. It was like fifteen minutes. Yes. Away. it was so long. Yep. It was so long. Of that's that's what it is with a lot of these movies, though. Like sifting through like these long scenes that don't that you're not getting anything from. Like I don't mind like if you put a camera at, at in, a, in a spot and sit it there as long as I'm getting something from every second there. But don't just give me repetitive, not for no reason. It's, it doesn't make sense. So do we think? First, I don't even know if this is what Cassavetes is known for, right. but do we think that he is a good storyteller? No. 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 Definitely I really not. don't think so. Whoa, no. no. And, okay. and you know, I don't like to be harsh like that either, but yeah, just no. No. I'm sorry. How do you think he is? Well, I saw the very first John Cassavetes movie I ever saw was Husbands. Right. It came out a couple, I saw it a couple months ago. Um, and it was about these three guys and their um, these three best friends one of the, uh, and then their fourth best friend dies. He's mm-hmm. dead at the beginning of the movie. So the three other friends decide to go to Europe 
to okay. vacation and just kind of come to terms with the loss of their friend. Their friend, and that felt very real and very grounded, and it was a really emotional movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, that. That's kind of what made me excited to watch the five film set because mm-hmm. I was I thought I was going to get more of Husbands. I really enjoyed Husbands right. a lot, okay. um, but by the time I was on One Woman Under the Influence, I was like, I don't think because actually. Husbands came out after Woman Under the Influence. Okay. No, right. no, came out after Shadows. Mm. Oh, really? Fuck. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I get Shadows and Faces mixed up a lot. Shadows, shadows came out in 1958. Part. Okay, and then Faces came out in 1960. 1966. Six. The original was 66. The what? print that was 68. Shadows 58, Faces 68. Under Influence okay. 74. Uh, Husbands, I believe, came out in 1970. Okay, so just before Roman mm-hmm. Under the And that was kind of the closest we got. Husbands, yeah, click on. Yeah, that was kind of the closest I got to um, from the th- four total movies that I've watched of there being an actual kind of story, story behind it. A- at least a very like emotionally poignant story. Yeah. I think that, I think that Casavetes, and frankly, I don't, think he's also a good director i think he's yeah i don't think he's a good storyteller and i think he's a particularly good director because in his first two films most of what he was doing was telling the actors to act with no real direction Mm. and he just kind of pointed the camera where he thought the camera should be pointed to watch what was happening um and sure there was a loosely based narrative um but there's there's very little direction and that's what i'm talking about when i mentioned artificial authenticity Mm. and shadows um because the camera is is like not still the camera's moving it's a dynamic camera yeah. and it's a camera that is shaky and following actors faces yeah. it wants to bring you into the film with it yeah. which is the same effect that's when like it's a technique that's used now that Derek C. and Franz has completely made his own yes um, but what it does is like it, it wants to make you feel like you're part of the conflict you're part of the conversation that's happening but yeah because of the, and this is not necessarily his fault, this movie was made in 1958, but because of the bad dubbing, because of the erratic editing caused by having seven hours of footage and having to condense that, mm. um, because of the improv- improvisational nature of the acting, what it does create is, uh, an, uh, it creates an audience member that doesn't want to participate with the film mm. um, because there's nothing in it for the audience. You know, it's, it's an, For me, it's an experiment in going against the norm, yes, but not I necessarily an experiment in storytelling or direction. Mm-hmm. It, it shadows exist purely because Casavetti's, in my opinion, because Casavetti's wanted to show off his anti-Hollywood sentiment. There's like I, I don't know if I can technically say he's a good director, but I can't all the way say bad yet because um, there's something we were talking about with um, the people that were doing prosthetics in the episode before, and they purposely did it this specific way. And I was like, I wonder if they tried to do this well. Could they actually do this well? And he was like, hell yeah, they could. Look at the, the time and the effort they put in to do it this way. Mm-hmm. So it's like Casavetti seems like a person that's so meticulous that if he chose to go outside of his current style, then he maybe he could. I don't have any evidence of that. Right. So that's why I'm like, technically, I don't know. But I, I would say he's a technically bad director from all the evidence we've seen. He's right. technically a bad director. But uh, what I will give him is he is a trailblazer and a groundbreaker and one of the most influential people of his time. Right. You know, that doesn't make you good, you know, but influential yeah. and trailblazer being the first person to come in and make being one of the most, in, as far as independent movies in America and the new wave, he's probably the, the most heralded. I mean, you said he has his yeah. own um, spirit award, independent spirit award. So. Good director, probably technically not. Don't have any evidence that he's technically good. 
But as far as being a trendsetter, a groundbreaker, a trailblazer, damn right he is. Yeah. Do you um, think he introduced new ways of like portraying character for independent an independent film? No. I I since that's kind of what all his movies were. Yes and no. We've seen it in, in French. We've seen that before. No, um, but we've seen America. it. In, we've seen it in European markets. Yeah. We haven't necessarily seen it in American markets no. until Cassavetti exploded. The European films were making a splash in America. Yeah. Uh, and sort of like the new wave movement was cutting down like art house cinema mm. was becoming more popular because the people that were watching movies in the 1950s and 60s were no longer 24 and like, you know, run of the mill normal people. They were like t- 35 and college educated yeah. at that time. So like European markets started making a bit more. So Casavetti took that market mm. and then adapted it to an American market. So yeah, like I do, I, what was your question? It was, it was just like, do you think he introduced a different way of acting or portraying character? Because, you know, he's te- he's obviously not very technically gifted right. um, or especially editing yeah. gifted, um, but it just seemed like his movies seem to have a really intimate take on yes character and that's and that's the authenticity that comes from the new wave that's the idea that came from the new New wave wave movement in Mm -hmm. europe that he translated into the american new wave movement that would later become the new hollywood movement where scorsese spielberg um uh, a bunch of the other ones like i can't think of right now that they're very significant scorsese and woody allen like heavily cite shadows right yeah Mm. and faces um, there is, he's a very influential, influential man in the way that he portrays character because his movies are all about character exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very common in the, in, in, in the new wave movement. And Shadows in particular was very good at wanting us to stick with the characters and like learn their struggles through what the character was doing um, rather than cues in with any other cinematic technique. Um, that being said, what I think is fascinating about Casavetes is that as these movies came out, everyone fucking hated them. And, I can see why. Um, <laughs> so like Shadows, like some of the audience members, I uh, have this quote from the wiki, some of the audience members were friends and colleagues of Casavetes. He later said that 90% of them disliked the film. A number of people walked out before the film ended, including um, Burt Lane, who had coached most of the cast. Burt Lane was their acting teacher. Mm. Uh, assistant cameraman Al Rubin told Casavetes that the film was okay in a kind of naive way. <laughs> Casavetes' father told him that it was a pure film, not a good film. Casavetes himself thought it was a totally intellectual and thus less than human film. The poor reception that made him decide that the film should be radically reworked. Mm-hmm. And this was the version that he released in 1966 okay. that then he worked into the version that became the 1968 print that we have Mm -hmm. where he like brought a script and actors were brought to reshoot things and that's why in some scenes the lead actor that played the brother Mm. looked more pale than in others because in the first print of the film he tanned himself to look blacker Mm. and in the in the in the later reshoots he abandoned that idea uh which one which one of these fives was starring john cassavetes because uh, he, because he's a pretty good woman actor. Under opening influence night. and opening night. Opening night. Well, he and went the in one. He went in one under too, the influence. No, killing of a Chinese bookie was him too, wasn't he? He's the uh, the older guy. No, that's Bar Gazabar, I think. Let's see. That's another dude. See, I enjoyed Husbands because mm-hmm. of those three friends. It was Peter Falk, who's mm-hmm. the star of Wonder Woman under the influence, who I really like him. Right. Yeah. And it was John Cassavetes, mm-hmm. and it was Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara is the one in Killing of Chinese Bookie. John Cassavetes was the lead man in the play in Opening Night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 okay. Right. Mm-hmm. This, who's this guy right here? 
this white guy in the middle. You know the one? That's Ben Gazzara. That's Ben Gazzara. Okay, yeah, he was in a number of movies that I was like at least two of these movies. Yeah. Like, he's I in three of them. Three. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's in three of them. I mess with him. Um, so yeah, I, I think Shadows is a very good experiment in anti-Hollywood sentiment. Mm. But apart from that, there's nothing significant of value in technicality or in in quality of acting. Even mm. I low-key hated the acting because it was so inconsistent. Mm. Um, the core of the film, the exploring the racial sensitivities of the 1958s America, was a really good idea, mm. but I think executed through this lens of anti-Hollywood sentiment just completely like took it down so many notches to the yep. point where it wasn't even like in the film. Yep. Well, all right, well yeah. this is where you won't have a bunch of input from me because yeah. I didn't watch his last two. So right. I hear Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and I'm thinking, like, oh, some shit's about to go down. Right. That that's was a, a good movie. That's a really good film title, and I think you're good. the only one who saw it, so what was your take? I had to see all of these movies, yes. What was your take on Killing? Uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. I came out in 1976, rated R, a two-hour and 15-minute runtime. It's a crime drama thriller. Uh, the rundown is a proud strip club owner is forced to come to terms with himself as a man when his gambling addiction gets him into hot water with the mob who offer him only one alternative. Um, this one came right after the, um, the woman under the influence. And like I was saying, woman under the influence, you see that this is a 2.0. He's changed this out a little bit. It's a little more um, socially acceptable, a little more normal. You can see in that one, Killing the Chinese Book, he actually has a bit of a plot and a story. You have this, uh, this white guy who's, who's pretending to be affluent, like he's a rich, super well-to-do white guy. He owns a strip club. It's just the worst of the worst or whatever. But um, he's going around gambling. And um, at one point, he has no money left. And he thinks that he can ride off his good looks and his nice suit. And this gambling establishment is going to be like, all right, here's the money. But they make him sign over for a $23,000 loan, make him sign his name, get all kind of information about him. Of course, he can't pay the money. And then after a few weeks, they're like, all right, well, if you and they say the word Chinaman in this movie about a thousand times. <laughs> it was like, yeah, if you if you can, if you go kill this Chinaman for me and then, you know, we'll, reminds we'll, me of Big Lebowski. <laughs> There's like, well, we'll call this $20,000 thing even. And he was like, uh, you, you ever shot? You, I'm not going to say Chinaman again. But yeah, he was like, if you, ever, if you ever shot a Chinese person? He was like, yeah, in the war, Vietnam. He was like, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. So all right, we're, we're in agreement. Fuck the Chinese people. So why don't you just go do it for us? He eventually finally breaks down and um, he goes to a spa where the Chinese guy is. And he's sitting there waiting and waiting, pulls out the gun and shoots the guy while he's standing right there in the water. An uh, Asian lady sees him and then kind of backs away. And as he turns around, two more people heard the gunshots and they come in. He kills both of them. He gets shot in the stomach but doesn't realize he's shot till later in the movie and he just continues to bleed out through the rest of the movie and you would assume that he dies because the very last scene is him standing out in front of his strip club bleeding out and blood all over him so i mean this one actually had a decent plot but it was like he was being um double crossed because the people that were telling him to kill the chinese guy they were they knew when he goes to kill the chinese guy that he's going to get killed there too and when he dies then the mob is going to own his strip club Right. But he ended up not dying, killed all the people in there, and now the mob is trying to kill him now because he didn't get killed by the Chinese. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was like this one actually had a bit of a story to it that I could follow. It's still two hours and 35 minutes, right. and it doesn't need like an hour of that, <laughs> you know, but um, it, it was it was a decent movie. Like, I, I liked it for that. Did it have like those improvisation uh, yeah, 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 of course sure. it did. Like when yeah. they, whenever, whenever anybody's sitting down, and I'm noticing that like in almost all of these movies, mm -hmm. when you're sitting down and they're like having a conversation with four or five people, um, a good example of it would be um, 
what's the one? A woman under the influence, if y'all remember, where they're having at a dinner That's table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's very improv. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, do we need all these oh my minutes? God. And, and what's your name, sir? <laughs> yeah. You uh, want spaghetti? 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 Yeah. Spaghetti? Does everybody want spaghetti? <laughs> yeah, it's good as spaghetti. Spaghetti again? <laughs> Like, yes, <laughs> spaghetti. Mabel, <laughs> I get it. Shut yeah. up. But, but it was the same thing. Like a lot of improv. Whenever there was a plot points, but whenever they're sitting down for minutes, it's just improv that's taking way too long. Right. Um, so, Killing of Shani's Boogie sounded like the most interesting film. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've noticed a pattern in Casavetti's that he's really fo- like after Shadows, mm-hmm. he really focuses on broken people. Yes. People that are very much addicted to something, mm-hmm. going through something psychologically. Um, like psychologically ill, mm. um, woman under the influence, yep. or um, people that are opening night too, opening night yep. with alcoholism, mm. and people that are struggling with their own mortality and yep. existence. So he likes very much these people, and very much like the European filmmakers that he's influenced after, mm. or the European European cinemas that he's influenced after. He doesn't give us a resolution on them; they don't change. Nope. Nothing happens to them except that they suffer through what they're suffering through. Mm. But we all know that those characters are the same after that movie ended uh, when the movie started. You, I, I love what you just did there. I didn't make that uh, connection at all, but that's super true. Like, um, they're not changing at all. There was, some, no. there was another movie we've seen uh, that was well, similar that would to that. Be, that would give it more of a narrative structure, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. that's why it's just like a portraiture on just the, these the characters people, yeah. and what, yeah. they're, what they're going through. There was um, The first time I even think about that is Woman Under the Influence because you're seeing this woman who has some psycholo- psychological problems. And bipolar disorder, I think. Is the bipolar? Uh, bipolar yeah, she, she has, uh, bipo- she's bipolar. And they send her off to, uh, to get some, some mental treatment and then they bring her back and she's at the, the dinner table with the whole family and then you can see how still off balance that she is and just dealing with the kids and then the dad is giving them, giving the kids beer to drink and letting them get drunk. Did y'all, did y'all see this scene? They're on the back of a truck and the dad, the mom has already been shipped off to the, um, uh, the mental institution. They're on the back of the truck and he's drinking beer. It's like, can I have some pop? And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gives you yeah, not too much. And he take a sip, gives all the kids and it was like, yeah, you can't have too much, not too much. Can I have some more pop? Yeah, yeah, here you go. And <laughs> just gives them all the beer. I'm like, wow. So like even this, the, 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 the wife is supposed to have, be mentally challenged and now we're seeing what the kids are dealing with with the husband being here. Like it's not any better at all, maybe even worse. And when the mom finally does get back and we understand what the husband is and the wife is there and she's just, just at the very end, she's like dancing in some type of trance with blood all over her hands. And the husband is just yelling at her to stop it because it's right in front of the kids. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to have to slap you. You're going to make me slap you down. And they get into a little argument and everything. <laughs> she's on the ground. And the kids are right there in the middle of it. And by the end of the movie, the movie ends within five minutes of that. But the kids just go to, he puts the kids to bed. It's like, mommy's going to be all right. The kids go to sleep. The wife goes to sleep. And it's just like, then they'll live another day. Yeah. You know, there's no conclusion. That, the same thing that was talking about the killing of a Chinese bookie. He goes through all of that. Maybe he dies. Maybe he doesn't. There's no resolution. So, like, that's a brilliant point you point out. Like, that, yeah. all of those characters have that, yeah. He refuses to give us a strong ending. Yep. He refuses to give us any point of reference to like betterment or anything like that because the point is that the point in Casabetti films in general is not to show us that the characters are getting better or learning, it's to show us a portraiture of these type of people. Mm. To in, in, in faces, which I want to talk about a little bit more specific next, it's not to show us that um, that this character in particular has learned a lesson or knows something or like has mm. been living. Th- through something and learns it's that the american way of living at that time created people that were 
financially wealthy but emotionally poor mm. and 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 that was like that was the portrait of it and it had something interesting to say with that but the execution of it was goddamn a dreadful sh- like fucking slog to get through mm. yeah i despise faces yes i think it's a horrible film i don't think it's horrible but i, I don't like it i think it's a horrible mm. film like if i had to go through yeah. rating these movies this might be my second rated highest I don't enjoy it. Like, I just told you how much I hate this movie. I'm not going to watch it again. But as far as, like, out of all these what, five movies, right, this what, is probably like a seven and a half, seven what, point five. What the fuck makes Faces, and I'm saying what the fuck not aggressively, just inquisitively. Yeah. Um, what the fuck makes Faces the second rated? How Because dis- technicality, it was fucking no, bad. How disturbingly unique it was. Like I said, I'm just now coming off watching this very first movie. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I haven't seen this besides this new wave movie. Then I'm watching Woman Under the Influence and just white guy going crazy screaming and then like I'm not understanding it just took me about 45 minutes to even get what in the name of hell is going on but then going back to faces and you be like alright he just throws you into something because the opening scene of faces is just yeah yeah playing jazz and like okay what the fuck is happening we're getting the same thing from from um, from faces so I'm like I guess just trying to pick his put his puzzle together and seeing that he actually has some type of thing he's trying to do is what made me appreciate faces but not enjoy it that's exactly why i hated faces yeah i mean i can see i mean i don't like yeah. it either <laughs> i very um, much dislike it because i i think that ambivalous content structure that faces has mm. is just fucking like it completely serves against the plot mm. considerably serves against the story that he wants to tell mm. Like, instead of giving us 45 minutes of this old man going crazy with this prostitute yeah. and then, or sex worker, and then um, giving us the last 45 minutes of the woman going crazy with the night, the girl's night out, and then a suicide attempt. Mm. And at some point, I'm just like, you could have intercut these. You yes. You could have done anything to separate the strain of watching all of these people be shitty towards each other yeah. and give us something more, give us a parallel narrative of the night, because that's what the film is about. The film yeah. is about. Husband and wife break up. They have a parallel night out mm. where they learn something about themselves mm. and then they go back to the house and they have a shitty married life. I together. want a divorce now. <laughs> so like mm. that's like some parallel cutting would be there, but instead we're forced to sit through 45 minutes of mm. nonsensical slog Dregs. with this fucking white dude mm. and then another 45 minutes of other nonsensical slog with a different with white dude. <laughs> this, uh, yeah, with, Mar- with Maria and then a different white dude. Yep. And then in that ends in a suicide attempt, mm-hmm. and somehow they end up back in the same house again, yep. and then they just live a shitty life together yes. again. And it's 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 faces is has all of the same problems that Shadow has: mm-hmm. erratic editing, way too many close-ups, yep. tracking camera close-ups, oh. camera placement that is nonsensical, mm-hmm. bad audio, horrible audio, mm-hmm. um, lighting that's not interesting because it's all shot in high contrast, sixteen millimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, just put a light somewhere, and you'll get lights and shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it's it's technically poor, story wise it's poor, um, acting wise none of the performances struck me as anything unique, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a bad experience to watch through and through. I absolutely hated Faces. Oh no, I don't I don't have many good things to say. The only good things <laughs> I have as far as um no like seriously though if I was gonna give this race like a seven and a half, but uh, I do love the acting performance on um the guy at the very end the blonde who's um, trying to stop the woman from overdosing. Like, his character has a bit of nuance into it. Earlier in the in the day where he's sitting there and he's just talking about his life and the way that he lives his life, he's just like, hey, whatever, whatever. And by the time she's, like, trying to engulf into his lifestyle, it's way too much for 
for and she's overdosing and about to die. And even as this is happening, he's somebody who's like, oh, you know, I see this all the time. I know what to do. I can help you out. Start slapping. I don't want to hit you. And start slapping the hell out of you. You got to wake up. You got to stay awake. Oh, you're crying. You're crying now. Good. Now that means you're alive. You're awake. It's like you see that this is a person that lives in this world. Like it's not something that he's trying to discover about himself or find within himself. Like this guy exists in this reality. So like I like that from him a lot in Faces. What do you think about Faces, Johnny? Um, the exact same thing you said. <laughs> Literally everything you just said was exactly why I, I couldn't stand. High key, don't recommend. Yeah, it's a uh, out of all these five movies, mm-hmm. like I'm okay. Like I think like I understand why all of these five movies made it into the Criterion, yeah. except for Faces. I think whoever recommended Faces to be in the Criterion Collection fucked up mm. and should not have been there. There's, there's another cast. I would have loved Husbands there. instead yeah. of Faces. I think Husbands is a great movie. I actually really enjoy Husbands. Yeah. There is a Cassavetes film that is more deserving of that spot in that Spy Fox film set that Faces. I think it's awful. That's the least enjoyable of the five. (laughs) Actually, and Faces made me write. Every time I see the the words Cinema Verite, I want to cry. I hate that cinematography style. (laughs) Um, It's my note. There's a lot of notes what I've just said. And... Okay, so there is something that Roger Ebert said about faces that I found was interesting. It's like, there is something that, like Ebert said, feels existentially trapping. As he also said, these are the people that fell into the cracks of the American dream, mm-hmm. people that are making money to support an existence that they want no part of. So they turn to cigarettes, liquor, and prostitution to fill the void. Yep. They're engaging in acts of self-destruction because it's easier than provoking any type of change within themselves. Yes. That last sentence was me. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what faces is about. Yeah. I just think it's executed so poorly. Um, but the core of the films is always kind of brilliant. Yes. Um, I mentioned the the acting and everything. So Faces is bad. Let's talk about Woman Under the Influence. This is probably one of the be- like my second, first or second favorite movie to watch on this one because the uh, the lead actor, lead actress, she Gina Rowland. Gina, yeah, Gina. She's I seen her in a different movie too. She's in one or two of these movies. She did a phenomenal job playing mm-hmm. that bipolar lady. Yeah, she, she did was such great. a good job. And like I said, this 2.0 of him really just refining his his skill and his the technicalities of it. This is more of a traditional type of movie if mm-hmm. he has any. Right, this is the more more of, more of the conventional. Mm-hmm. I say that opening night is a lot more conventional than a woman under the influence, yeah. but it this is him because now this is this is the interesting thing because this is nineteen seventy four. Seventy six, yeah. Um, seventy six. Yeah. Um, I mean, he might have made it in seventy four, yeah. but yeah. 76. So this is yeah. So this is um, I'm talking about woman. Oh, under the influence. Oh, I'm sorry. Nineteen seventy four. Yep, you're right. So this is nineteen seventy four. Yep. The seventies have already happened. So yes. the and American new wave has now turned into the new Hollywood movement. Yep. And we're starting to see films like The Graduate, which came out in 1967. Mm. This is the, the decade that Scorsese starts working, that Spielberg starts working yeah. in. So we're seeing a lot more of the conventionalization of the type of filmmaking that Cassavetes popularized with Faces and Shadows. Yeah. So I think it's appropriate to see his style of filmmaking evolve into, uh, a, into that brand of filmmaking, yep. albeit a more uncomfortable aspect of yep. it. Um, but it makes sense that as we get older and we fall into the trend that he helped create, mm. his films start getting better and better because now they resonate more with culture. Yeah. Now they're more significant in the way that we talk about movies and they look like the movies that we're talking about yeah. and they're not as alien anymore. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that from the 1970s forward, mm. a lot of these movies start looking more conventional Definitely. because that's what movies were starting to look like in general. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, what did you think about Woman Under the Influence, like, in general? Like, of, of the of the ones you've seen, would you rank this as high as, like, any of the cast videos you've seen? 
Um, it's the second, my second my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. I enjoyed watching the the kind of relationship between husband and wife, yeah. and how the impact her like mental illness mm. has on like their entire family. Yes. I enjoyed that a lot more. That was more. That was very like captivating to watch. Yep. Um, out of the four I've seen, yeah, that's my second. That was my definitely. It was definitely my favorite of the the three out of the box set that I saw. Right. Yeah. For sure. Like that's it's just it's it's when you're watching her the first time that it hits really for me when she's on the porch and she's asking the kids it was like uh, do you think mommy is weird or do you think mommy is something something and it's mm-hmm. like no no uh, I think you're nervous but you're all right it's like oh let me see your muscle flex a little muscle for me that's as hard as you can do it and then you're like oh man like she has the mind of you like these children she doesn't understand her place really and that's just like oh man this is gonna get so much worse and it does mm-hmm. until she shipped off and comes back and it never gets any better so i mean it gives you a huge look to where i'm not the, the sympathy or empathy that's not really coming for the husband or the wife so much but it's the people that are surrounding by surrounded by it the kids and the family and everyone surrounded by it but um yeah yeah I that one, one was really that one was heavy i liked that one a lot oh yeah i think my favorite my favorite part about a woman under the influence is gina Rowlands. Mm-hmm. i think like the way that she portrayed like the spiral of mental health of that character mm-hmm. It was like super effective, yes. super somber. She's yeah. Cassavetti's wife. Yep. Is she? I yeah. did not know that. And so like we always feel like there's something wrong, but we're never entirely sure of what is yeah, in exactly. this movie. Yeah. And like it's a sad thing and she does a very great job at portraying that very yeah. sad thing that happens. Um the movie is too long. Yes. Wait. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> All of these movies are so long. Like, but like that that dinner scene that we were talking about, yep. like just fucking shut up. I, I don't. I think he needed an edit. He did. Mm. It, do you think he did he edit his own projects? Yeah. God, he needed someone else to be yeah. like, hey man, hey John. He can't kill his babies, man. He needs all those kids. God, <laughs> damn. Yeah, you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cut that, bud. You gotta cut that. That, yeah. that bugged the shit out of me. I was that scene where like a guy starts singing like an Italian, and then yeah. another guy's like, oh, you think you can sing? Oh, let oh me show you me sing. God, so then dude. I was like, I was like, okay, like one person singing, then the other person tops him, and then he stops. But then he starts singing again after they clap for him. I was like, what is the point of this? Why are we even filming this thing? Like, there's no point in that second singing thing part. I'm like, why? What, what new information are we getting from that? We, uh, my note was like, dinner scene dragged on from a control look time and it shown us nothing about character. No. There was no characterization in that. Apart from the f- very fact that Mabel, Gina Rowland's character, was like not okay. Yeah, like the, the thing that I'll take from this and the, all the uh, the other movies or the scenes where they're sitting there amongst other people is that they're trying to portray that things are normal and and when things are so far from it, yeah. you know. So I mean, this this they're singing, they're dancing, they're having a good time and enjoying each other, but in reality, nothing about any of their lives are good. And he's got a consistent problem with audio mixing. Mm. Cassavetes is bad, uh, bad audio mixing. I agree. Pretty consistently. I agree. At least in this first three film. Yeah. Like in the first scene, my first note, in the first like 10 minutes of the film, mm. Gina Rowland and some other guy in a bar. And oh. she's, she has like that drink where she drinks like super quickly in yeah. one go. And they're just like, fuck me, you can drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the audio mixing is rough. Like I know that they're searching for the sense of authenticity. So they want the environments to feel really well. Yeah. But I can't, can't fucking hear them talk. No. I couldn't understand what they were saying like uh, half the time in this movie because there's so much sonic chaos yeah. that it's just kind of like just fucking cut down on the mixing, my guy. <laughs> there was a moment yeah. at that bar scene where yeah. they did cheers yeah. and you can clearly hear the clinking of the glass sound that's absolutely meant to be their toasting. It's not <laughs> It's not someone else in the bar. Yeah. But all they do is they just look at their drinks and say cheers and just start drinking. But he must have put in 
the sound of glasses clinking. No. Bug the shit out of me because they did not do that. <laughs> but he put that in there, and that, and you, I know that he meant for that to be their toast. Right. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be another person. It was another, like a, another couple clip. in the bar doing it. No. He messed up. The second I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I checked to see how much longer's left, and it was like two hours and thirty-eight minutes. And I was, was just like, like "Great, <laughs> fantastic, brilliant." Um, woman under the influence for me. Apart from being in color mm. and being a little bit more conventional with its camera placement, yeah. we've lost a lot of the tracking shots, mm. a lot of the aimless tracking shots. Mm. He's elected to put the camera in a static position now and then pan track the actors yeah. instead of tracking with shit, camera movement, shit, yeah. um, which gives it a little bit more stability visually. But it also cements us in the room mm. for a while. And we're there with the characters. There's a little bit more audience involvement in yeah. that film. Um, the close-ups are still there, but they're nowhere near as annoying and senseless as they as were the in Faces thing. and Shadows. Yeah. And the audio is still bad. But well, so, I mean, not to jump too far ahead here, but I, the, the main reason I wanted to do this was I wanted to see what critics were saying right. and like what kind of scores it, were, it was getting. And I guess trying to justify why, I mean, the, if they were acclaimed, I don't know a single review. They are pretty acclaimed. I critics really. love them. I don't, the only way I could see this being justified really is like the time that it's coming out. It's like we're like I talk a lot about the Model T Ford. When you don't have any other examples and your first guy in the Americas that's doing this right here, people are going. There's going to be so many people that spawn off from you. So right. like technically, we I don't have much evidence that technically he's that great. But as far as being a groundbreaker and trailblazer, doing things that no one has done in America, then yeah, <laughs> you kind of got to grade it a little higher for that. Woman under the influence has an no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Like, like, let me at the end. Can I can I do a guess of what my rating is and then see what the actual oh, rating is? Oh, you got that. You got yeah, that scheduled. Got that. My bad. Can I just flip the screen over to me? I want to see what the rating is. Yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, these these movies are critically acclaimed. People love them. Uh, like critics specifically. Yeah. Like people like Roger Ebert think that they're intellectually interesting, emotionally engaging, and then like just like. It's that part yeah. of film culture that drives me up the fucking wall. Same. Just, really? Yeah, yeah, man. And, and that's kind of how people are treating us, to, like, right now, yeah. the movie Us. People want it to be so good that I think they're creating excuses to, to tell you how great it was. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm on both sides because, like, I'll have, like, I'll go see movies with someone and then, like, Hereditary. If I see Hereditary with one group... I remember seeing this for a second time, and they were like, what the fuck was that? Like, what did that even mean at the end? Like, what the hell? Like, what is this supposed to be about? And they were just like, it was kind of over their head to where they didn't think it was a good movie. So I was like, no, this is good. Maybe you didn't understand it the same way, but it's very, very good. So it's like when someone like Roger Ebert, who's watched like a billion movies, if he says it's a 10, if I think it's a 2, I'm still saying it's a goddamn 2. But a lot, a lot of the times, like, you try to just see what they see in it. You know, like there was movies that uh, Brian brought up, a movie called Polar. And I'm like, why are people giving this nines? And some people are giving it twos. Fucking metal riff of guitar movie. Like, it's just fucking awesome. It's like when when you see like these big disparaging views, it's like, how is one person saying this is god awful and another person saying this is great? How is a critic saying that this is amazing and the casual person is saying that this is shit? So I kind of want to look at both sides of it. The person that thinks it's shit, why do you think it's shit? Let me see it through your eyes. The person that thinks it's amazing, why do you think this is amazing? Let me see it through your eyes. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that that part of film culture and this is this has been my problem with criterion films in general for right. ages that they just get over snotty they become snobby. overrated they become snobby yeah. jerk offs of film culture it, yeah. and so like yeah casavetes did an amazing thing yeah. with uh, like he's kind of the father of an american independent yeah. cinema yeah. and like no amount of fact arguing can take that away from him no. 
but his movies aren't good. They're they just great. aren't good. Mm. Uh, so like to say that to say that someone is influential mm. is not to say that their movies were good. Nope. It's just that they made an impact. And yes. I think Casavetti's made a huge impact. Yes. But his films are fucking horrible. I, I don't think I enjoyed a single one of these Cassavetti films. Okay. I don't think, in, in, in the fact of like that I thought it was a good movie, I don't think I liked a single one of them. Mm. But I recognize what they did. And, but, like, but Roger Ebert, he's watched a shitload of movies. Yep. He's watched a, like... And he gets a lot wrong. Yeah, well. Kava has a, has a, a, a term called grown-up movies, mm-hmm. in quotations. Yeah. And so like, I feel like a lot of critics get engaged in that fact. It's like, well, this is a grown-up movie, mm-hmm. so grown-ups will like it. You know, and the kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's kind of like the concept that I hate mm-hmm. a lot. And that's part, of, like, that's part of why I'm so vocal against a lot of the Criterion movies that I think are bad. Okay. Um, because I know that I'm not the only one that thinks that this shit is overrated and faffy. No, but yeah. you, you can find you can find those groups. I mean, it's just like which, which I, I look within myself because, like I said, that hereditary thing. Yeah. If I'm in a group of ten people and I'm the only one saying that this, y'all, what are y'all talking about? This is really, really good, right? You know. But sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But those groups that think the way that I am are not respected in film culture mm-hmm. as much as the group of people that are jerking off the other Criterion movies or, or the film culture that Jonathan's talking about. Oh, so you're saying like um, the people like like us that are watching film and that are a part of the culture, and then the uh, the, the the people that are just the elitists within the group, yeah. the elitists within the film yeah. group. And I so would love to know what people would say about John Cassavetes if he didn't have a single Criterion movie. Right. Just show me those five movies. No Criterion by themselves, just a straight up DVD of it. And, you need and, context. Then, and then really tell me. You need me. context. You can't just. No, you like, don't. No, you don't. What? You need historical context. That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. But you don't need. You don't need the celebrations of the Criterion not, collection. I'm not saying yeah, that, that. I'm not saying that. And the review, need historical and reviews. Context. And reviews. Yeah. You need I, historical I, context because if I'm seeing this first. Uh, was it for Shadows? Do you need historical context for The Graduate, though? No. The Graduate, the graduate came out in 1967. Casavetti's second film came out That's, in 1968. The Graduate is a good movie, though. It's a great movie. Shadows <laughs> is not a good movie. Yeah. So I need, I need context to understand what this is. This is the first time in America that we've seen something unique this way. It doesn't make it good, but it's like, oh, look what just showed up. Never seen that before. We're all staring at this thing, you know? The Graduate is a great film. So let me go go back to that. The Graduate is a great film. It came out in 1967, borrowed a lot of, and it's actually a good precursor to the 1970s New new Hollywood movement. Um, The Graduate has all of the things that Cassavetti has brought into. Ooh, The Graduate has done well. It's taking the things that Cassavetti has done and it's making it well. But why does that that not need a historical context versus Cassavetti, who was the one doing these techniques? The first person that's doing it through here. Like the first person that's doing it, and we talk about a lot about with uh, with movies that I'm not super into. We talk about how this thing is going to spawn so many other things that are great from it. The first person that that brings it out, everybody is going to perfect that from generation to generation after that. This just happens to be the first person. This happens to be the Model T Ford of everybody after them are going to take things from it. And we've seen so many examples in cinema over the past 20 years that people are taking from him, not because he's a good director yeah. or a great director, but he's very influential and he brought a style of filmmaking that America has not seen. Right, but nine, check out... So, so then maybe it yeah. was wrong to say, it, use the Criterion example. I'm talking maybe about good reviews right it has good reviews yeah a lot of his movies i don't see you want to you want to go over that so i don't want to tell you like what the numbers were but i mean when y'all i don't think they're justified absolutely not and that bugs the shit out of me because i don't genuinely think that a lot of people enjoy those movies yeah what the impact that they have 
from for future generations of filmmakers, yeah. I can definitely understand that. You guys have definitely explained that very well to me today, and I right. definitely understand. Yeah. But they are not good movies, and that's the mm. issue that I have with I agree these, not good, these good. good reviews. I'm like, mm-hmm. tell me why that's a good movie. Tell right. me what. Tell me why that deserves yeah. an eight out of ten. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, yeah. I, that that bugs the shit out of me. And I, I think people are just saying that because of his influence. Mm-hmm. That's and that's what I was gonna get into. It's like with even the movie itself, I think a lot of the and you have to like put a little bit into cultural influence and impact that a movie has, but that's still only one to two points. That max, yeah, that is yeah, that max does not of give it cultural influence and no. impact. I'm tar- so it's like even with these movies that I'm seeing, yeah. even if I'm giving a curve of two extra points because I understood what it did to the to society. I still watch the movie. That does not give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I mean, yeah no, cinematography. I need editing. I need good acting. Exactly. There's, yeah. there's no movies in here that I've seen that was a ten. Good camera. Angles. Nothing even close to a ten. No. And like even if his, even in his latest films where he starts becoming a little bit more conventional, yeah. his camera angles aren't all that interesting. No. He's got a couple of wides and a couple of close-ups. There's That's no evidence that, that here that says he's a technically good director. There's yeah. no evidence of that. Um, but to to your point about the reviews, and I think that this is what happens is the same reason why I think that like Jurassic Park is a good movie. It's not the best summer action movie out there, you know? But it's a good movie. But culturally, it's become such a huge mention. It's become such a huge part of culture that everybody thinks it's the best fucking summer blockbuster Jurassic Park is a 9 out of 10. You got to see it. It's part of your childhood. Like, no, it's probably not a 9. Jurassic Park's not a 9. You know, but you feel like you think about it that way because of the impact and the influence and how you remember it. But I also, I mean, Jurassic Park, though, not to, you know, hang on that movie too long, there's special effects that have yet to be replicated. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. That, yeah, that you yeah. see in yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah. That and alone would give it... It's technically it, good. And it's bring yeah, it to a well seven, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does amazing things. Yeah. But the culture around it, and this is this is why I like this topic a lot, too, because I hate reviewers. I hate review mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. I think it's awful. I think people jerk themselves off when watching a movie a little too much, and I'll they're not it. honest with themselves, which is kind of like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, like, yeah, I get it. Woman Under the Influence is a great I like having no preconceived notions. And it's hard, man. I look yeah, at I'm, yeah. I'm on IMDb every day, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious. I still am curious, but I do think reading a review, whether it be before or after a movie, mm-hmm. just taints the experience. I can't read a review. I uh, know. Like, I'll look. A number. Even yeah, a, num- like a number. I like See, a number. I can't. It, it's the same thing for me, a, a review and, a, and the, the score. The thing is, like, it's it's an expectations thing, and I brought about like watching porn. Like, if you're if you're going on Pornhub or whatever you're watching on porn, do you look at a rating? This this has fifty percent, or do you just go in there blank? It's like you'll click any random. I think thing. that's a more special. Exp- it's a it's a it's a. Yeah, it's a more special experience. It is. That's what we were talking about with Brian. It's like you go into something not knowing what it is. If it's good, then you just won twice. If it's bad, then you just talk shit about it. You just had a bad movie. But it was like for someone like me to like to be in control of a situation, I don't want to walk into something not knowing what my hour and a half experience is going to be. And a good argument for, for, for that, for my view on it, is you know people don't want to waste their money. Or time. And they don't want to waste their time. Exactly, yeah. Um, I just think there should it should be more of a... a I wish there was more leaps of faith yeah. with, with, with film with with movie watchers. Just not knowing, yeah. knowing absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. I haven't watched a single Avengers Endgame trailer because I already like you know from what I kind of already know what to expect. You're right. Yeah. So there's no really there's no real need to watch a trailer. You know, right. let me just go into it not even knowing a single thing. Yeah. And that's makes the the film the film goer 
experience a lot more enjoyable. Right. Just to not know a single thing. And it also allows you to form your own opinion about Applying what Applying that watching. to David Lynch movies is like critical. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know a single fucking thing because no. you're not going to get answers from the reviews anyway. Because uh-huh. right. he never is going to explain to you what his movies sure are about. Never. So just go in and watch it and experience it for yourself and come like out, that. you know, and, and just make your own make your own review. What, yeah. do, what, do, what do you think about it? Yeah. You know? Like that. And, I don't uh, know. It's just your review culture is so weird because you want to know. You don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste your money. Mm-hmm. But also you're tainting the whole experience to, f- in the first you place. Can. Like I think about like a, like a food place too. Like if they say the reviews on there are shit or the reviews are great, it's like I want to know what kind of dining experience I'm about to go to. Like this place right here is like, oh, we're going to go to some random place. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. Like, I do that all the but time. Also, yeah. But also, yeah. who the fuck are you to tell me? <laughs> About a movie, you know. That's what I, that's the these Joe schmoes that like. I have a friend, one of my best friends, but he will not watch a movie if it's below a seven on IMDb. I was like, mm. fucking why? I've seen yeah. movies that I'm like, oh my god, that's a fucking nine out of ten, and then I look at IMDb, and it's got like a five, no. and, I, and 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 that bugs the shit out of me. Like you ruined that. Oh, probably a cool experience for yourself because you let that number dictate what it's like. Your own, yeah. Uh, if, I, if if something says it's a four, then I'm probably not going to watch it unless I hear someone who says they love this movie. Uh, I say all the time about a movie called Weekend at Bernie's. It's not rated very high, but like I hold it in my heart like it's a nine. Mm-hmm. And then when I first seen it, I was like, well, this is one of the best movies ever when I'm like 15 years old. And then I see a lot more movies over the past 15 years, and I realize the flaws and how I can pick it apart. And then I judge it on not my own, like looking at it through my view, look at it through just a technical view, just not subjective at all. At all. Like, all right, does it hit the marks on sound does it hit the marks on editing does it hit the marks on acting like i just graded on all those technical things and take my experience out of it and then you put your own did i have enjoyed watching this and some of these movies like um like the the weekend at bernie's is not a nine but i like it like that i enjoy it that way but i can't rate a movie that's not hitting all the technical marks that much higher the same thing with like a roger ebert if he's watching a a quote-unquote adult person movie and it hits all the technicalities right. There was a movie that uh, the last uh, Christopher Nolan movie, um, Dunkirk. Dunkirk, I watched that, and I don't want to watch it again. But it hit all the marks technically, like sound design, editing, cinematography. Like he did everything. And then when I came back in here to talk about it, like, did you watch? Did you enjoy that? No, I didn't enjoy it. Did you want to see it again? No. What would you give it out of a one through ten? I'm giving it a seven, seven and a half because yeah. it hit all of those marks. You know, it's not enjoyable. Like if I if I have to go about my myself, did I enjoy that? It's a four because I went to see a Christopher Nolan movie and I didn't like it. You know, but if I'm just looking through just black and white, what did you do? What didn't you do? It's still there. So it's like that's what I try to look through. If like if it's Roger Ebert or anybody, like why did you get to that point? I may disagree, but what lens are you looking at to get to that point in the yeah. first place? That's I, a good point. I I disagree a lot with reviews because mm-hmm. of that. Like, yeah, you want to grade a movie technically too, yeah. but I think apart from like all of those things coming together yeah. to form a score, it's like. Did the movie say what I wanted to say? Mm-hmm. And did the movie do that effectively? Yeah. And sometimes a movie has nothing that it wants to say or just wants to have fun. And that's as valid as like having something to say, yeah. namely like Turbo Kid and all of mm-hmm. these other movies that are just out there for fun. Yeah. But I think the, the, the ability to completely withdraw your subjective experience as a critic. You have to have both. Like, so you have to have the technical part and then you throw in like that one or two points. Did I enjoy this? See, no, see, I, I, I disagree. 
You're more of a, did I enjoy it more so than the technical part? No, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, like, the whole experience as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, I can separate my technicality, my technical view of a film yeah. versus my enjoyment of a film. But yeah. if I'm writing a review, I really want to communicate with you Both. the experience of going to watch this movie. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, like, the sound was awful, but it was a fun movie. Yeah. And it, this, this, this and that. And so, like, it, the problem with, like, review culture, that's what I'm saying, is that there's a lot of disingenu- disingenuity. Mm. Or is that the word? Disingenuity? Um, disingenuous. disingenuous. Yeah. It's a lot of that because there's... N- and I know this because there's no way that anybody that watched A Woman Under the Influence mm. had any amount of fun watching A Woman Under the Influence. It may have resonated, but, but it, it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't a good film. But that's something that you would you couldn't say that this is a bad... Would you say A Woman Under the Influence is a bad film? Yes, Whoa. It has a great performance by Gina Rollins. Whoa. It's looking a little bit more conventional. But I think it's a bad film. I There's disagree. nothing particularly interesting about it. And the only the only thing that has a lot of merit is that the actress is really good at portraying it. That, you know? the, I mean, everything that's going on around, like I said, the her being bipolar and watching those kids and the family mm-hmm. around them, I wholeheartedly disagree. Like, Woman Under Influence, that's a good movie. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I think, and, and Opening Night, it's still there. Um and opening that is like I, I I feel like the the best composed, the best put together of the five, mm. um, of the four that I've seen. Yeah. I think it's the best one. It looks a little bit more polished. It has Gina Rollins again with a mm-hmm. great performance. Not as great as Woman Under the Influence, yeah. um, but it's more structured. It has more narrative yep. to it. It knows what it's doing. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's a portrait of an alcoholic. And I think that's where. Um, not a portrait of an alcoholic, but it's a portrait of a person that's going through like hard things. The spiraling, yeah. And and I think that that's the that's the good thing about Cassavetti's work. They're all portraits of a chapter in a person's yeah, life, like a slice of life, yeah. Um, but again, it's one of those movies. I just I I didn't see anything in it that I found particularly interesting. Mm-mm. I didn't see the performances there that nope. meant anything to me. me um, there's just nothing about that film that implies a sense of like good filmmaking and storytelling. You know, it, it bring, this brings me back to when we did our best movies of 2018. Yeah, and you mentioned A Star Is Born. Yes, you didn't enjoy the movie. Nope. And hold on, but just this. All right, th- and I broke it down the exact same way, and I said this is the reason why I give it this score, not knowing what the Oscars or any awards were going to do. And then for the exact same reasons, I said this is a seven or eight. It got those cinematography awards. It got those sound editing awards. This is way before anybody says they're nominated. And it was just like, I'm watching it. I'm like, this is what you did well. You did sound editing well. You did a lot of these things well. This romance is not for me. I can give it a review. I didn't enjoy the movie, but I can still give it a seven and a half or an eight. I, can, I guess that was where, that was my biggest gripe with our reviews is it all, I think what made them on our list was, did we enjoy them too? Yeah. And, I, and you looked at it. It, it didn't make my top 10. It did not make the top 10. Wait, number five. Star Wars was number five. Yeah, man, that was what threw me off. Yeah. It's like you. I went, I went by ranking then because I didn't enjoy that movie, but it was still at an eight. The fact or a seven that you didn't higher. enjoy a movie, but yeah. it was in your top ten movies of 2018, I'll yeah. never be able to. I'll never. I, I lo- I'll lose sleep over that. You put Captain <laughs> Underpants as your number one movie. I, I enjoyed here. Captain Underpants. Uh, awesome animation, and I enjoyed the it's, movie. I think we have like a hundred and eighty degree it, difference. It's a fifty percent technicality and fifty percent my enjoyment of the story. One hundred and eighty 
degree difference because I, I try not to put myself in it because anyone that's listening is like, why do you care about what Chris Lucky likes? I'm telling you about what this movie does. So either you can, you may not like You're the story You're viewing it this. from oh, like just straight up technicality. Yes. And then I'll, I'll put my own experience grade towards the end of that. So if I had a very good film going experience, like um, the movie Avatar, this experience like transcended the movie for me. Is that a good story? I've seen the story a million times. The experience of Avatar gave that a higher grade than I typically would have given it. So it's like I don't take, I don't just, I don't go in there like a robot and be like, oh, it does this, does that, does yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. still a human, you know. But it's just like I like to black and white it because if I don't, then it otherwise tears down a movie that did things really well. Because I could have came out of a Star Is Born and be like, what you think about a Star Is Born? Oh, it's shit. You have anything good to say about it? No, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. You know, so I'm like, these are the things that I can take away from it that it did really well. So, like, if I'm giving a top 10 of what I consider the top 10 highest rated movies that I've seen in 2017, then I'm going to give you the movies that I've seen in the highest rating starting from the top to the bottom. I can also give you an honorable mention of what I personally enjoyed that may not be rated that high, you know, but it's just a different view we, for me. We just had a different criteria for our list, for yeah. sure. Yeah, the enjoyment factor was what definitely had to make it. That had to be a factor in all 10 of my films. Like if, if, you, if you see my top 10 list of what I enjoy, like I will be bringing to the table the most shit movies <laughs> ever. Well, that's the, that's the kind of radical approach I had in 2017. Like, <laughs> sure it was just more of an enjoyment factor. Yeah. So, But I tried and I tried to redo that in 2018. I was like, yeah, I mean, these were these 17 movies were enjoyable, but. Yeah. God damn, were some of them made horribly, like, like forty-seven that. meters down, you know. <laughs> mm, yeah, like I, I'll agree. There, there, there should be some little leeway. It can't be just black and white. Like I'll, I'll try to have a little bit more of a my own enjoyment has a little more weight to it. But yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. All right. So let me let me just wrap up the discussion for opening night because the difference from a woman under the influence to opening night in terms of filmmaking is not significant. Mm. It's kind of the same movie. Um, person breaks down, they go through a breakdown, and then it, they just live through it. Yep, don't get better. Um, they don't get better. They don't improve. Um, I, I, there's this not a narrative arc for the character. They're just things that happen to the character. This movie upset me the most out of all really? of them because, like, I, I hadn't seen this movie yet. Like, I was just starting it, and I was messaging y'all back and forth. I was like, "Do we need five movies? Like, is it, like we couldn't have just picked two? Like, why do we need to see every single one of these movies?" And like, by the time I'm at opening night, I'm like, "What is the what, what was the difference if I didn't see this or if I did see it? Like, it didn't." Well, do literally, the different. only reason I suggested five was because of, of that box set yeah. that they came together. So I was like, "Maybe there's this joint experience." And conclusion that you can gather from watching all five of these together. They're, those, toge they're together for a reason. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, they would have just released them individually. Yeah. Why yeah. are these in a box set? You know, right. I, that that was the whole point behind I it. Like, I needed to know I why. I was like, what the fuck? Like, opening night better be something transcendent. And I was like, no, this is more the same. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I liked the idea of the box set. I liked seeing his progression, mm. for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I definitely think the technicality got... Got better, a yeah. little better. Got a little better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he got color, you know, and yeah. I, I he's not yeah. a good black and white guy. He got color in a budget. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of like what it comes down to in terms of technicality. Yeah. Um, I think that the the only interesting thing that I can say about uh, opening night is that very much like the European movies that influence him, he refuses to give us any strong point of resolution. Yeah. And through a film that's likely that's strongly based on the narrative arc of a character to do that is like very Cassavetes. Mm. But at this point I'm fucking tired of it. 
Do you, do you believe the, the there was a woman that um that they run over with the car at the beginning of the movie and then she sees her I like, thought it was Cece Space like for a second. Oh, she that, that <laughs> looked a little bit like <laughs> yeah, with the hair just being all bumped, <laughs> so, yeah. And then she's seeing her later in the movie and like I'm like is is she like drunk? You know, it was like because she's been drunk the entire movie from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm like is she, is she hallucinating that the woman died? Is she hallucinating that there's a ghost of the woman? Like she's seeing him like or the woman existed. It was a hallucination after she died. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because uh, she got hospitalized for like alcohol, whatever. Yeah, then went to go see some type of seance type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, that'll fix it. Go to a seance. <laughs> but, yeah. Absolutely. Walk out of there all healed. Yep. Um, so, yeah, opening night for me did nothing but annoy me. Yep, I agree. Um, but I was there and it was, it was there. technically better than Woman Under the Influence, even. Um, but I also uh, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I had no I had no fun watching that movie. Me so neither. we're not gonna deny we yeah. we absolutely won't deny his his influence. Right. No, you can't deny. And it. I have a little yeah. conclusion that I wrote oh, yeah, for that ahead. as well. Um, but no, no, go ahead. No, no, no that's okay. No. We're gonna. definitely not gonna deny his influence. Nope. God damn, these movies just fucking bad, just bad. The we already talked about the killing of a Chinese bookie, mm-hmm. um, roughly. Um, it is his best looking film. I think he got a handle on like good lighting. Mm-hmm. At that point, I like I like jump through scenes in the film. I oh. didn't get to watch it, but he's got good lighting. His yep. audio work at no point that I saw was dodgy or looking weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what the fuck was his name? Uh, ben Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara is a fantastic actor, yes. and I really enjoy his performance. Me too. I like Peter uh, Falk a lot too. Peter Falk. He was the dad and woman, right? And woman under the influence. Yes. Who was the husband? Yes, he was. Okay. I did a good job too. He's really good too. Um, the most interesting thing consistently about Cassavetti for me has been the actors. Mm. And in fucking three out of these five movies, they were used so poorly. <laughs> uh, faces, would be what on shadows, faces, and opening night. The three that they were used poorly? Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, think, I think that that for me lands. But uh, Bert, Ben Gazzara um, did an amazing job in The Killing of Chinese Boogie from what I was able to yes, see. Yes, he did. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think that like the idea of looking at the progression of a filmmaker is a really good idea. And mm. Casavetti's definitely had a progression. Mm. Um, I just don't know why they're all in the Criterion collection. Like I understand if like Shadows is in the Criterion collection, being technically the one of the first American New Wave cinemas. Yep. Like I I understand that making sense. Yeah. But like Faces in the Criterion collection. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for that. I don't see, yeah, like, yeah. I don't, like, even technically, like, when I'm looking at the black and white thing, it's like, the sound isn't good. Like, the editing isn't good. Like, And I'm wondering why they skipped over one. Like, Husbands was in between uh, Faces and Woman Under the Influence. Let me ask you this. You've seen Husbands. Was it a more conventionally looking film? Well, given that I haven't seen Chinese Bookie and mm. Opening Night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I nothing was like I was not um, turned off by anything editing wise or like audio dubbing, just the normal like really unnecessarily long like scenes. There's a scene at a dinner. They have a similar dinner, just like woman lasts way too long. Mm. Um, But nothing technical wise was like. Here's my here's my theory as to why husbands does not make it on the criterion. And one, it could it could be a licensing issue, mm. where like the right or it could have already been. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. May, it could have already been. Or like it's either like a licensing issue where like the right holders of husbands did not let the criterion collection reprinted. Mm. That could very much be a possibility. Yeah. But also on the fact that it, uh, from what you said, it just looks and sounds like a much more conventional film than any of the five that we've got. Mm. And I think that the criterion collection tends they, to shy away from, from that conventional. conventionality. Yep. 
um, which is another one of the things that I distinctly hate about the Criterion I'm with collection. you on that. I am 100% with you on on um, them not taking anything that, are, that seems to be modern and um, a bit orthodox is mm-hmm. not getting into the Criterion. It doesn't matter how well made the movie is. And that's, that's a shame. They're, t- they're taking a very specific type of movie. A movie can be a 10 out of 10, but if it isn't that unorthodox, different type of criteria collection type of thing, it's not even going to make it in there. Like every Criterion movie... It's, it's almost as if you go into trying to make a criteria movie, <laughs> you right. know? And I'm sure, that, I'm sure that if we try hard enough, we absolutely can make it. A hundred percent, yeah. Like yeah. Inside Lewin Davis, the Oscar Isaacs movie, mm-hmm. it's a criteria movie. It looks like they specifically made this for, for criteria. I don't know how many people have even seen this movie. I haven't seen it. You know, but it's Oscar Isaac and it's Criterion. Mm-hmm. Criterion, as soon as it came out, like within a year. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how long a movie has to be out before you put it in, but it was that quick. So I'm like, eh. My bladder's about to explode, guys. I've tried to like <laughs> go, go take a pee pee. Go pee pee. Have fun. Hey. Do we want to wait for him? Or? No, I mean we can, we're done with the the main <laughs> body anyway. Um, I do have an I do have another thing that I wrote for Cassavetti as mm-hmm. a conclusion, right. which was just like the true value of Cassavetti's work does not lie in the quality of his work or in its reception, mm. but rather in the courage he had as a filmmaker to tell the stories he wanted to tell in the way he wanted to tell them. Mm. A prominent and important figure in the American New Wave movement of the late 50s and late 60s, which I would later turn into the new, which would later turn into the new Hollywood movement in the mid-70s moving forward, where some of our most important directors of nowadays worked. He opened the gates for independent, director-driven, character-centric films, Authenticity became the key word in his films, and even if he got it on camera through artificial means, I believe that it has become a key concept in today's American filmmaking, one that has allowed us to tell stories that would have remained buried had the American studio system not be shaken up, shaken up by the new wave ideology Cassavetes greatly contributed to. Yeah, um, that's ex- that's all. I, that's how I feel about Cassavetes. I think his movies are horrible, mm. but as a filmmaker, he had the guts to do what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. And I think because of that, we've benefited greatly as a community of film, film goers and watchers. So shout out to Cassavetes yeah. um, for doing that. And I do think he's overrated, though. I think he's significant, but overrated. I, like I, I had never heard his name before. Mm. Uh, Jonathan brought it up, the collection. So it's like, but within, I'm going to do the research after today yeah. and then just see how heralded he is. Yeah. I, th- I thought he was. I thought he was underrated. You know, because I've seen the first no. two. I was like, why don't? Why does everybody know about this? And then I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, in my opinion, he, like after after a woman under the influence, he gave us nothing of value. No, no, yeah. no. Well, the Chinese bookie, uh, the killing of a Chinese bookie doesn't do anything really new. Mm-hmm. But I kind of enjoyed it. But yeah. yeah. Um, Jonathan, mm-hmm. hope you had a nice pee. That's nice. Yes. Um, what are your parting thoughts on Cassavetes from what you've seen? I uh, don't deny his influence, but didn't enjoy his movies. <laughs> but also didn't watch the past two, and I apologize. That's all good. <laughs> but but yeah, that's. I have a book on him mm-hmm. that I bought um, recently because he never got to make an autobiography. He died at a relatively young age. Yeah, I think Fif- it was alcoholism. He was fifty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got a book that collects just about every interview he gave, which oh, I'd nice. like to read and get his get his viewpoint on his movies a little bit more. But um, technical, technically wise, his movies are very weak. Um, like bottom of the barrel, technicality wise, and uh, even kind of story wise. But don't deny his influence. Absolutely, he's a great idea, man. I love his like grind too. You know, I don't think he really wanted to be an actor. I get that kind of vibe. I think yeah. he just did it to support his uh, film directing. His directing, yeah. yeah. But he's a good actor too. 
Yeah, he is a good actor. Yeah. I think he's a better actor than he is a better director. Maybe so. Nice. Any birth, his three kids are all filmmakers. His son, Nick Cassavetes, directed The Notebook. Yep, which I also hate The Notebook, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I think that's it for Cassavetes. Um, significant filmmaker, but, you know, yeah. whatever. So we're going to cut, and then we're going to talk about uh, television and movie premieres. Uh, thank you for listening to us talk about Cassavetes for, like, 55 minutes. <laughs> oh, you should have expected it. Five movies? Yeah. It's going to be long. Uh, and welcome back to television and movie premieres all right this week television and movie premieres from tuesday march the 26th through monday april the 1st uh the first one's going to be wednesday march 27th it's million dollar mile it's a reality show that tim tebow is going to be hosting on cbs at 9 p.m the christian footballer guy Christian football guy. He refuses to go away. I mean, he's made is, himself. Is he still playing football? No, he, he's playing baseball now. I think. What the fuck is he doing? He people love him. I'm not. I'm not one of them. But it's like I don't have anything bad to say about him. I do. What? He's just seems like a jerk. No, he <laughs> doesn't. Like he's all around good guy. Like he yeah. treats women good. He's cool with children. It's like he he's very high in his. Maybe state. I'm just a cynic, but it, uh, I just think he's afraid of God. I think he's. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not someone who's a Christian, and it's just like, but I mean, that's that's his thing, and he wants people to know about it. He wears it on his sleeve, and until I see like him do something negative or like make fun of somebody or like, I, I just don't have any ammunition to flame him. Like I, I don't, you know, like just. God, I, I, well, I fucking hate football now. So. I don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> football. Yeah, yeah, I don't like football. I got a lot of bad things to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, yeah. so what's he doing? That's a million-dollar mile. He's finding a way to keep himself on television. He has an obstacle course competition series that's going to be on CBS Wednesday, March 27th. Uh, the next thing is going to be Friday, March 29th, Highwaymen. It's on Netflix. It's Kevin Costner and Woody oh, Harrelson. Oh, God, dude, that looks amazing. There's Kevin the, Costner. Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. They're going to be detectives. Oh. Uh, it's going to be a Bonnie and Claude type thing in 1930s. I'm into it. Sounds all right. Um, it's going to be directed by the uh, the men that did the founder, the McDonald's movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Did that movie do well? It did very well. Nice. That was really good too. Uh, but that's Friday, March 29th, The Highway Men. Uh, next thing is Sunday, March the 31st. Jonathan, you put me on the show, but I don't think you continue to watch it. Um, it's going to be Barry. It's coming back to uh, HBO at 10 p.m. No reason why I stopped. I just got busy doing other things. That was a great show. I I, I stopped watching it with two episodes left. I, just, I do that just, all the time. You just get distracted and you lose touch with it and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, God, if I, if I bring it back, I'm going to have to start at episode one again to catch back up. Yep. Now, Barry's, Barry's good. Uh, is it Bill Hader? Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's such a good actor, like comedically, drama, like he, he does it. But that's Sunday, March 31st. Barry is a comedy on HBO at 10 p.m. The next day, same day, Friday, March 29th, Veep. Veep comedy on HBO 10:30. This is the last season of Veep, so if you've been following Veep that, it's been going on for a while, quite a while. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus from uh, Seinfeld, we know her from. She's been holding that show together for a while, but I dropped off after season five, and I rarely stop watching the show in the middle of a series. So, right. there's that. <laughs> but if you're still watching Veep, this is the last season. And Alon uh, Bumgarner, one of our former teachers at our art institute, he had some um, some former students or friends that he knew that worked on the uh, production uh, design mm-hmm. for Veep. So yeah, it was a former student. Yeah, so shout out to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep getting that money. Uh, the next thing <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. Next thing is Monday, April the first, and last for television is the Twilight Zone. It's going to be on CBS All Access. This right here is Jordan Peele. He has his hand in everything. Uh, so the Twilight Zone is going to be back on Monday, April the 1st. Looking forward to that. Nice. 
Um, that's it for television. Got two movies coming out. The first one's Dumbo. It's a PG movie. 112 minute runtime. It's a family fantasy movie. Uh, it's directed by Tim Burton and is starring Lucy DeVito, uh, Eva Green, Colin Farrell, and Danny DeVito. Who's Lucy DeVito? DeVito's maybe his daughter? daughter? Presumably, or his no, daughter? No, uh, Rita Perlman is his wife, uh, but oh. uh, maybe his daughter. His daughter, probably. Uh, a young elephant whose oversized ears enables him to fly. Don't Y'all we know need what the Dumbo rundown. Is. We know what fucking I think we Dumbo know what Dumbo is. is. Like, if you, if you don't know what Dumbo is, then yeah. Get your life. Yeah, you got to get your life. Yeah. That's, your <laughs> that's Dumbo, the big <laughs> elephant with ears that he can yeah. fly. Floppy uh, ears. The, uh, the next thing is uh, The Beach Bum. It's rated R, 95-minute <laughs> runtime. It's a sure. comedy. A rundown is a rebellious stoner named Moondog lives by his own rules. <laughs> that's Snoop Dogg's evolution. This star Snoop Dogg. Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's oh, really hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, <laughs> if you, yeah, I know you know the answer, but I want to see if Brian does. You know who directs that? Uh, the Beach Bum? No, I don't actually. Harmony. Harmony Kareem? Harmony Kareem. <laughs> God, fuck Gumbo. <laughs> it's, it's Gumbo? Yeah, Gumbo. Fuck that. Fuck that. Gummo, sorry. Yeah. yeah, fuck that movie. Anyways. It's starring uh, Matthew McConaughey, Snoop Dogg, and Isla Fisher. Uh, it's a comedy. Um, you know what you're going into, so. I saw, the, I saw the trailer, so it looks scrimy and dirty and disgusting. Oh, I haven't I, seen the trailer I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see it. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is it for television and movie premieres. Really? That was it? That yeah. was a hella short week. Yeah. Not a lot happening. Mm. Um, all right. Guess that was the guess that's I wasn't ready to do a rundown yet. Okay. I was like, expecting <laughs> like seven more things, so it just caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it for today's episode. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do the rundown. Um, you can find us on Facebook at FFS Podcast. You can find us on Twitter underscore FFS Podcast. Um, you can find us on Google Play Music app, iTunes Podcast app, and Stitcher and Spotify in the name for film's sake. My personal Twitter handle is at Brian Archia. I'm at T-H-A underscore V-O-N-Z. Hey. Jonathan? No Thanks. social media, but, um, <laughs> you know, have a good day. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and joining us to talk about Casavetes and for the idea. It was a fun idea. It was. Um, but yeah. There was, there's something with that um, quick little tangent. Uh, yeah. We watch this thing called Gr- Guys Grocery Games. Yeah. And, and then in Guys Grocery Games, you, you compete against other chefs. But at the very beginning of it, they show their background and where they cooked before and all these different things about them. So we try to decide who's going to win based on the background, how much experience they have. You know, so this right here, this movie made me think about that in the competition. Because when you're trying to be a director or a writer, you're putting tools into your toolbox. And we picked up this Cassavetti tool. And I didn't, I didn't think I need this tool, but now I have it. And see all five of these sharpen that tool a bit too so nice. it's just like it's very cool to where, whenever whatever environment we end up going to there's just another tool in our box to be able to help us to get a little further yeah. now so we I have a really now we have a really sharp spatula we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even really know what that meant but yeah the sentiment yeah. we learned something from Casa today we do. Um, and that's it for today's episode and we'll see you all next week yeah. Yeah.